Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the holiday special edition of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Normally, it's the part of the show where, you know, I set you up for what's coming up throughout the program. Today we're going to do a little different. I want, you know, to give you the experience of opening a present every time you go through the show. So it's been a little longer than you used to. Probably a bit of a marathon podcast, but it's the only one I'm putting out for a week. So give you a chance to sit back, open it up a little bit at a time, enjoy it as it comes on. We'll do some of the usual sports staples. We'll do our NFL picks, as I teased last week with Sean Rowe and Tom Bacchino. I will also be doing the opening tip in just a moment. Our golf guy, Dan DiMartini, will be in the the mobile studio here. I'm actually on the road right now because Iona's normal recording studio, which is where this podcast usually comes from, is closed for the holidays. So I took the show on the road. Dan will be hopping in in just a minute to talk some football with me in the opening tip. We'll reset where we are in week 16, look ahead to week 17 as well. Got some great guests for you. It's a guest of Palooza. There's a lot of people coming on the show today, so a lot of good stuff to get to. But we'll get it started with Dan and the football and the opening tip right after this call from Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts of CBS Sports. Third and nine for New York. Darnold steps, throws, looking for it all. Robbie Anderson, touchdown Jets. What a grab. In between Hayden and Edmonds, and Darnold squeezes it in there. He's got real good hops here, and we'll talk about hands right over the top of Edmonds before Joe Hayden can get over there. Spectacular catch. He gets that elbow down just before he hits the white mark. All right, we're back here on the holiday special edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast. I promised a boatload of guests this week. We have guests on every segment, including this one just happened to materialize in the last minute. It's my golf correspondent who's a big NFL fan. We're talking some NFL football right now. We are watching football with Dan Martini in the middle of week 16. Dan, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, Mike. It's great to be in studio. Yes. First time not speaking on the phone, so um, just happy to be back on the podcast and happy to talk some football. Yeah, how it, how much different is it to not be on the phone and see how the magic happens? Oh, it's great. Look at this setup. Yeah. I, I'm... Definitely jealous. Uh, this is pretty cool, and it's uh, hopefully just from a sound quality standpoint, I can already tell it's pretty kind of crazy to hear my own voice uh, not over the phone. So yeah, it's great. yeah, this is we're on the road right now because the regular Iona studio is closed for the holidays. I have my own new setup here, so a lot of the stuff you're hearing episode episode was pre-recorded in the studio, but this is one of the two spots is going to be done on the road. So welcome to the on the road spot. I love it. I love it. This yeah. is great. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. We're watching some football today. Obviously, week 17 coming up. Pretty much everything is the side, which is unusual for week 17, I feel. Yeah, you know, it's it's a, been a very strange year. The teams that are fighting for those final playoff spots, even though they haven't played great down the stretch, just other teams that could have given them a good run um, 
aren't playing their best. So we're at the point right now where it's it's winning in for just the final seedings and, and playoff spots. And it really, more so than the teams that will make the playoffs, we're just waiting to see what spot they're in. Yes. Through six. To reset where we are right now and the actual day of this recording on the 22nd, we are in the middle beginning of the NFC East title game between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. Whoever wins that game is going to be the four seed, most likely, barring something strange. But they're going to be the four seed. They will get probably the loser of the NFC West title game, which got flexed to Sunday Night Football next on Sunday. So which is going to be an amazing game to that's watch. The game of the year, I think, that oh, game. Absolutely, and it, you know, it just goes to show you that as much as we think that earlier in the year, I had said this probably around week five. I said, man, wow, wouldn't a Seahawks Ravens Super Bowl be amazing? But I'm starting to think that 49ers and Ravens would be just as good. So um, those teams are just so exciting and fun to watch, and, and they take chances down the field, and the play calling is incredible. So um, I'm I'm re- I'm thinking that we're getting basically an NFC Championship game next Sunday night. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. I also want to point out that I was an idiot this year. I picked against the 49ers this year in my over-unders. I took them to go under eight wins. They went 8-0, and oh, and... Well, I'll say this, Mike. Go ahead and hit that again because I chose the Colts to have more wins than my friend who's a big 49ers fan. So, yeah, I mean, that's basically what we're looking at here is uh, nobody saw this coming. Nobody saw that the 49ers, we all knew that they had the picks, that they had the the quarterback, the quarterback that, you know, had played so well in just a limited dose before getting hurt. Uh, but nobody realized that Kyle Shanahan was going to be so put together in the play calling, the, the scheme. These guys are winning games. When you see a team that's got good talent and they start to put it together, you don't expect them to win in a variety of ways. I mean, they go on the road to New Orleans and beat that team and beat the Saints in New Orleans in a high-scoring game, and then they can go at, back home. They have a bad game against the Falcons, which that I mean that just happens to, to teams all the time. But the way that they have then won other games this season in close matchups, uh, I mean, it's just incredible to watch. They can they can score a bunch and and play that high that high flying game, or they can win it close in defensive battles. So it's just really enjoyable to watch that team. And all the credit to Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, great job by them. We'll put a pin that for a second. While you were talking, actually, just to give another time check of where we are, we just saw. The, they have the Dolphin Bengal Joe Burrow Bowl on the red zone right now. Mm-hmm. Andy Dalton just hit a basically a 40-yard Hail Mary play to bring them within two points, and now they're going for the two-point attempt live. Let's watch this and just give, give everybody what idea what happened. All right, they're all spread out, so let's see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, I mean, the 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 Bengals are way down in this game. Yeah, I mean, the uh, this is insane to me because all day long I had been getting notifications about Ryan Fitzpatrick lighting up the, the Bengals, and here we are, 35-33, with no time left on the clock, a two-point conversion um, to possibly go to overtime. And and Andy Dalton right now is showcasing what he can do for another team. And it's going to be really interesting, interesting to see what he does in the offseason and where he goes. And um, I, I feel like this could be like a Tannehill 2.0 where he goes somewhere as a backup and competes. And when his time is called to come in, he can win a few games. I mean, the Bengals, you can blame Andy Dalton all you want, but real Bengal fans that I've spoken to know that he's not the problem. No. They've got a million others. So now Andy Dalton is not the problem. He does have his limitations though. And it'll be interesting to see because now they're going to get Joe Burrow pretty much barring something really fluky here. And the two point play is about to go off. Dalton is dropping back to throw. Look at Eifert. 
He's looking for Eifert. He's going to run it in. He's going to yeah, run it in. It's 35 run up. It in. And I mean, we talk about his limitations yeah. and he spikes it in the end zone. I mean, it's amazing to see that. I mean, he, he's doing things as a defense. You do not plan for Andy Dalton to run it in all the way to the right pylon for two point conversions. Uh, I mean, this is, this is crazy. This is really crazy to watch. Yeah. That game's going to overtime. We will not be around till the entire end of the overtime. Most likely just want to throw that out there, but this is, this has been a fun day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so many things every year there's that one week that and it's usually towards the end of the year where you I don't know how you guys did picks for this week because just I mean these teams are are playing out of their mind I mean to see the Dolphins and the Bengals both score 35 points and go to overtime I mean how can you predict that how can you how could you pick not knowing who is going to play hard who is going to mail it in um, who's already thinking about playing golf and, and going on vacation versus the ones that are really fighting for their for their jobs. I mean, it's really, really tough. With And there's so many teams that are with bad records playing each other. We're also watching overtime right now for the Giants-Redskins. They're also tied at 35. And those guys are, I mean, the winner of this game is going to get, you know, wait, move pretty far back, actually, I think, in, in, the, in the draft. So you're kind of hoping that if you're a fan of the Giants or Redskins right now that you lose this game. Um, yeah, if you're a fan, yes. But I feel like the, if you're a player, you're a coach on that team, you want to win the football game because a lot these teams are both very young and, like, yeah. you don't learn anything about how to win by losing these games. If you could, if, Imagine how important it is for Daniel Jones to finally lead a winning drive here after this defense gave it up. He's thrown four touchdown passes today. He's looked really good. Uh, the Giants have been holding on. Obviously, they've got issues on the defensive side. Saquon's back. Saquon just dominated this team today, but good on the Redskins for fighting their way back in this game, too. I mean, it's kind of cool. Uh, you know, these teams know that they are still two years, three years away, might have to make head coaching changes, but they've got the foundations at quarterback. They've got some young up-and-coming running backs, and... Uh, you know, it, it's 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 kind of cool to see bad teams play competitive in Week 16. So, and then Phillips, tell everybody what you were just fist pumping about as as we're watching live here. Yeah, we're watching live here. Russell Wilson just threw a touchdown for for the Seahawks, put him up seven nothing. I have Russell Wilson, my fantasy quarterback. I am in the fantasy title game, so that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this year I was in three leagues. Uh, fought my way into the playoffs for all three of them, but just couldn't get it done to make it to the championship game. I lost in all semifinals um, and won actually one quarterfinal. So it's uh, it's just one of those years. Um, you know, I, I thought I was going to have a really good run. Uh, Darius Geis was hot at the right time, and then he got hurt against the Packers, and uh, Mark Andrews missed that week also because he got banged up. So I was really relying on them, and Josh Jacobs out of nowhere – uh, we find out has been playing with a broken shoulder. So you're not going to win in the playoffs if injuries, if the injury bug hits you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about some other developments from today. Obviously, the Ravens win in uh, win against Cleveland. They get home field throughout the playoffs, and that's going to be massive for them because going to the road to New England, the playoffs is a different beast than the regular season. And the fact now that they're going to have New England coming in again, if they get that far, both those teams will be very interesting. The Ravens are coasting they, yeah. right now. I mean, everybody's like, oh, you know, it took them a little while today to beat up on the Browns, but they still beat up on the Browns. I mean, they are just, they are a nightmare for any team to match up against right now. They can run the ball. They can throw short. They can throw deep. Lamar can take, just keep the ball and rush for 100. You have no idea what they are going to do, and you can't prepare for it. 
teams need a full summer to look at Lamar Jackson, look at his strengths, weaknesses, where he's run into trouble. But the problem is he hasn't shown any weakness at all this year. Um, he, he can beat you in a million different ways. So, uh, as I've been saying, I, I don't know who's going to come out of the NFC, but I would very, very strongly believe that with – I don't believe in the Patriots this year. I, I really don't. Uh, I'd be really shocked if they're in the Super Bowl. But um, with the talent that they have, I think this is a Ravens AFC championship team. I, I just don't know who they're going to be matched up against. I think the only teams that have a chance to beat them would be the Seahawks or the San Francisco 49ers. Who was your preseason Super Bowl pick? Believe it or not, uh, I, I, was, I was going into the year – um, you know, this was this was right around the time when, you know, when I made my prediction, it was when Antonio Brown had had left the Raiders and everybody was predicting that he was going to go to the Patriots. Oh, that's such a Bill Belichick thing. Remember when we were all in that phase? Like yep. they're going to oh, it's got he's the perfect spot for him. And then he went there. So I'm like, well, this is a Patriots year. Uh, you know, they haven't. I was of the belief until the Patriots are beat in the playoffs they're going to continue to make it to the Super Bowl. But then I watched this last stretch of maybe five to six weeks of the Patriot offense. Yeah, right after the Baltimore game. They just they are shattered confidence-wise. They can't seem to hit on these crossing patches. Their wide receivers don't get open, yeah. and they can't run the ball. Everybody is saying that the Sony Michelle experiment needs to end and that they need to look elsewhere. And I'm like, you have three other running backs that you could go to, and you still can't run the ball with them. So if you can't run the ball and Brady can't hit, you know, open receivers downfield, they're a very, they're not a scary offense right now. There's no Gronk factor. There's no Josh Gordon, and there's no Antonio Brown. So teams are not afraid of them on paper. It's just the if they're going to lose, if the Ravens lose to the Patriots in the playoffs, it's all going to be the that prestige factor, that Bill Belichick creating ghosts, not to do a, you know, Sam Darnold here, but um I'm hoping that the the Ravens go in it and say you're not the same Patriots and uh we're going to take you down. So who'd you have out of the NFC? You had you said you had the Patriots in the AFC. I had the Seahawks. Yeah, so, and so uh, that's still possible. Yeah, absolutely. And and I th I thought this was going to be a you know a rematch from the Super Bowl a few years ago, and, and and that's where we were heading. I've I just think that Russell Wilson, he's the kind of guy that you give a, a lot of quarterbacks or big players in the past, you give a, a massive contract to, and then they kind of dog it. Russell Wilson's not that kind of a guy. He just wanted to feel legit, like he was his legacy was going to be cemented as a Seattle Seahawk, and they did that, and now he's honoring them because I just think he's the coolest guy. I'm not a Seahawk fan by any stretch, but I just think Russell Wilson is, if I was running a franchise, he's my guy, and and I think that, um, I think he'll get it done. They have a lot more talent out there than I realized. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My pick's actually still alive. I'm going to stay with it because I feel good about both these teams where they're playing right now. It was Kansas City and the Saints. That's my Super Bowl's pick preseason. Really? Yeah. You feel like both teams defensively will be able to get it done? The Chiefs have been stepping it up of late. They're playing tonight against the Bears as we're recording. And, like, they've their defense, I feel like it took them a while to adjust to the Steve Spagnuolo scheme. And they're pretty good. As I'm watching Kenyon Drake bring my fantasy team even closer to a win as he's going down the sideline, going oh, towards man, the end zone. Just breaking it. Yeah, they yep. can't catch him. Kenyon Drake's had, in the end zone. He's had an amazing yep turn of events every year there's that one guy that finds a new home and just completely changes things for him i mean the cardinals are very far away from being a good team you gotta see david johnson that's right mm -hmm. i mean it's amazing what he's done and just uh, i mean he came in in what week like five or six right, right at the trade deadline yeah i mean it was it was 
it's amazing to see what he's done. And I, I mean, I don't believe in Kyler Murray yet, but I think the, the Cardinals will be a very feisty team. It's going to be hard for them to make the playoffs over the next you know, four or five years with now, how good the 49ers and Seahawks will be. And the Rams. And the Rams. I mean, their division <laughs> is just stacked. Yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, you can see that they've got, they're growing something there. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. And back to the point about the Chiefs. I mean, their defense is playing well. And obviously, I have Patrick Mahomes on my side of that pick. I can't, I don't, I don't feel bad about that. No, you shouldn't. I mean, look, if, if there was ever a year that it was wide open, with the Patriots not being as good and in just a variety, the, the parity in the NFL, especially for these, it, I would say probably three teams in the AFC and four teams in the NFC, it is wide open this year. And I genuinely feel that way. At the start of the year, I was like, it's the Patriots or bust. And now I'm feeling like, well, well, man, I mean. Anybody can win it. Anybody can win it. It's going to be a lot of fun. I As a, as a Colt fan, you know, we're, we're going backwards right now. We have a lot of problems. Um, but... Uh, I can sit back this year not being in the playoffs and say, okay, this is fun. Let's watch. Let's just enjoy it because you enjoy, you know, parody in football. Yeah, that's fun. And we'll also throw the other big development out today, which is that my team, the Jets, sprung a massive upset today. They took the Steelers down at MetLife Stadium. And that performance was just shocking for the Steelers. I'm sure the Steelers fans out there are all just sitting there going like, I mean, classic with the with the quarterback play. I mean, this game, like Duck Hodges starts, he throws two picks, gets benched for Mason Rudolph. And Mason Rudolph comes in. He gets hurt. They have to go back to Duck Hodges. The Jets get just enough offense to win this football game. And Le'Veon Bell did not play as big a role as I thought he would. He had 25 carries for 72 yards. But like Sandar made enough throws. The Jet defense stepped up big. Even Quentin Williams got a sack. Finally, that was nice. It was big. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, the Jets were uh, coming into the year. I, I just said they have they have enough talent to be really feisty. And, you know, obviously Adam Gase didn't get it done. But that win for them has a massive ripple effect on the playoffs. It does because Pittsburgh control their own destiny going to this game because all they have to do is win this game. Win against the Ravens next week when the Ravens are not playing anybody. Pretty much. Oh, now they're they have, going to be a shell of themselves next week. Yeah, all they had to do was get this win, and they would have been in, in the playoffs most likely. And instead, they are now out of control of this. This depends on all on Tennessee now because Tennessee lost to New Orleans earlier today. does not matter. The Titans beat the Texans next week. And remember, the Texans have the division locked right now, and they are in the four seed. They cannot move up as far as, far as I'm aware. Correct. So the Texans might take it easy and might just play the show and watch about a half. So the Tennessee win. Tennessee's a sixty and Pittsburgh's going home. I don't think that I don't think the Texans play Watson at all in that game because they've already won the South. I think that they're trying to hide as much as they can from Buffalo. They don't want to show yeah. any sort yeah. of film and they don't want anybody to get hurt because they know that they want to it is really important for Bill O'Brien to actually win a playoff game this year. Yeah. Uh, remember they had a better record. They technically won the AFC South last year. The Colts beat them in back-to-back -back weeks and you know really kind of crushed their year last year. Uh, I think it's really important for them to be as healthy as possible. They're going to let the Titans win. Yeah. And uh, as an as a fan of another team in the AFC South, it hurts to see two teams from that division make it, but as long as the Titans don't come out and just completely um, you know, just just implode basically, yeah. uh, you know, it's really they've, you know, kind of fallen back into the last seed. So yeah, it's interesting because basically now week 17 means like almost nothing at this point. 
Yeah, I mean, other than uh, other than what's going on in the NFC West between you know the Seahawks and and the Forty Nine and this and this wild card, right? I, I mean, I mean, we're talking before the Monday night game with Green Bay and Minnesota, and Green Bay wins that game, they win the North. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, at even, this... even if they lose it, also, I mean, like they would have to lose to Detroit and have Minnesota win for Minnesota to win that division. So, like, that's Never I mean, I, I see the, Vi- the Vikings could win this game, but I don't think they're going to win the division. Yeah. No. And 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 it's going to be a lot of fun. And and. Those teams are obviously, as I, I categorize, kind of Minnesota as the bottom of the upper tier uh, of teams. But it's a shame that Week 17 doesn't have kind of more on the line than just what we described. But at the same time, uh, it, it, there's a, there's enough to, to make your day and enjoy the last week of regular season football. But it's amazing what, what I think that this year of playoffs – it's going to be just so much fun from the wild card round all the way through. So I'm okay having one bad week 17 and trade it off for amazing matchups in the playoffs. It's like a little bit of a palate cleanser week where you sort of take a breath and just, you know, like you could throw the red zone channel on, be carefree unless you're one of those idiots in the league that has fancy football championships week 17. God, if you Let's just make a PSA right now, Mike. If you run a fantasy football league and you are listening to this and you are still, I mean, I even think that week 16 is tough, but... If you're still playing fantasy football in week 17, just quit that league or or you know pass on the commissioner duties to somebody else. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it sucks. It's like imagine if you get here with Lamar Jackson this year. Lamar Jackson carries you this far. He's not going to play next week. Yeah, in your he, most important game, he's not playing. Yeah. So unless you are willing to drop Lamar Jackson for uh, you know Kyler Murray next week, or, or yeah, or RG three, who knows? Yeah, RG three. I get. Yeah, I mean, you could start looking at all the backups, but. I don't think I don't think your listeners are the kind of people that are still playing in seventeen. So yeah, I mean, a uh, uh, friend of the podcast, Alan Pines, is in a league where they do that, and he's not happy about it. But well, tell Alan he needs to leave that league. So, <laughs> I mean, there's a million leagues out there. I'd rather play in a public league that finishes in week sixteen than play in a, a friend league that ends in seventeen. To be fair to Alan, he did win that league a year ago, so he well, so he does. There may be a financial incentive to stay in that league. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure, and. Since we had to, since you're a cult guy, what's your thoughts on your team this year? You know, it's been about as disappointing as possible because there was so much hope. We were five and two. I remember I was uh, I was flying overseas, and Mr. Phillips here uh, was kind enough. I I only could use the Wi-Fi in a way where I was able to send messages through my phone through like one of the alternative apps, and so the Colts were playing the Kansas City Chiefs that night, and I'm flying on a 15 hour flight. And Mike was kind enough to be sending me messages, and I couldn't believe that the Colts were – everybody thought the Colts were going to go into Kansas City and get absolutely crushed. And I thought that he was messing with me until I landed and I was able to watch the highlights um, and and really see that the Colts beat the Chiefs. So, you know, we're 5-2. and We're feeling pretty good, um, even though we had lost to the Raiders at home. And then we we, we just went on to lose seven of the next eight games. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah, like I feel like the turning point of that year was that Steeler game where Vinatieri missed the game game tying go-ahead. It was the go-ahead field goal at that point? It was the go-ahead field goal. And and Vinatieri was just a a mask for all of the other problems on this team. If you look at Brissett's numbers, Brissett had an amazing start to the year. He came out, he was super confident. People didn't have enough film on him, and they couldn't figure out where he wanted to go. Brissett's lack of ability to throw accurately downfield. Now, I will give him credit for this. He lost Ebron. He didn't have T.Y. Hilton for seven games. He lost Paris Campbell, our first round, you know, our 
second round wide receiver, our top wide receiver pick. He's got Zach Pascal, Jack Doyle, and no Marlon Mack. So, you know, he's dealing with a shell of what we had from an offensive standpoint, but he doesn't have the weapons. The offensive line was there. The, the, the most disappointing part of the season for me was watching Brissett. If you look at some of the film, the Colts offensive line is giving him, I mean, five, six, seven, eight seconds on a drop back, and Brissett is panicking yeah. when he's got a clean pocket. And then he panics, waits way too long, breaks out of the pocket, which allows the you know the pass rusher to, to break off his block and then get to him. And he forces a pass downfield and throws an interception. It's his inability to say, okay, it's not here. Where can I go to my check down? Or how can I just throw it away and go on to the next play? He's, he's jittery in the pocket. And he is, unfortunately, because I really like the guy and the team really loves him, He's not the long-term answer. Yeah, the way you describe it is interesting because I feel like some of the stuff you're describing with Jacoby Brissett applies to Sam Darnold too, where Sam Darnold does not have a lot of weapons. He has a much worse offensive line, but like you're seeing the potential there. You're saying like, oh, he can make things happen on his own. He can extend plays. He can make tight throws in these windows, and Brissett does not have that kind of ability. Yeah, Brissett against the Texans. Um, the Colts beat the Texans early in the season. They, he made one of the most amazing plays breaking free in his own end zone. I bet it's probably going to make, like, you know how they do the top 20 plays of 2019 or whatever yep. it is. Do you remember that play where yes. the Colts were down and he, he he's in his own end zone, breaks free of a sack, rolls to his right, and makes, like, a 50-yard pass to T.Y. Hilton coming back to the ball on the sideline. We end up moving down the field, kicking a field goal, and winning the game. Um, it was one of the most amazing plays I've ever seen, and – I was like, oh, my God, this is our guy. And here we are, you know, 15 weeks later, and I'm just I'm sitting here saying he's he just can't get it done. He's not a threat vertically, and teams are stacking the box against us. So not much you can do. We got to look elsewhere. And, and maybe he'll compete for the job and win it, and he'll get better, and he'll look at the tape and say, I need to be more aggressive, and he'll get more continuity with the wide receivers. But, uh, you know, we just – we have – we have a million problems right now, and and it's it all starts with the inability to get open and to test teams in their secondary. All right, all right, Dan, thanks for hopping in the, in the mobile studio today. Talk no, a little, I loved little it. football. This is a lot of fun doing the watching the games live. Also, I added to this. I, I know we could keep we could do this for hours. Here we're sitting here now. It's ten nothing Eagles. Um, it's kind of interesting to see. I mean, the Cowboys played so well last week. I'm shocked that already that they're down ten points. Uh, I thought that they would come out and kind of keep that. Momentum going. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what, what, the Rams put up an amazing fight last night, uh, so it showed that they were willing to bounce back. But the Cowboys manhandled them. So what, the Cowboys, if you're a Cowboys fan, I, I mean, I'll I'll count my blessings as a Colt fan. At least we know we're out of the playoffs. The Cowboys, and this would be pretty crushing for them to not win this division with where they were. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, if, if I'm a Cowboys fan right now. Yeah, I'm pacing around the room. This, for Will mm. Smith out there, I know somewhere he's sitting there. He's nervous. Very, very upset, but and rightfully so. So I feel yeah. for you. Um, I, I trust me. I've thrown. I've had my. I've had probably four or five remote controller throws this year watching my team. So um, I feel you if you if you do one today. It'd be nice to feel that against a Jet fan. I mean, I haven't had that since week 17 of 2015. You guys are so close. If you could just figure out what you're going to do with the head coach, figure the, out how to use Le'Veon Bell. The offensive draft, line. Drafts a couple linemen. Yeah. Two, maybe three. 
They're and, a bit, yeah, they 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 have work to do, but, yeah, but that's you, a whole other podcast. <laughs> I know we could sit here forever, but that team, like I, defensively, you could be something special. But the yeah. defense, when I played on a, a lot of teams in my lifetime, and I know as as a defensive player, when our offense wasn't getting it done, and it replies to any sport, when your offense isn't very good, your defense isn't going to try that hard. Yeah. Like why why play to your full ability if you know you're just going to be back on defense in a couple minutes? So. I feel like the Jets' defense could be even better if the offense could show that they can get them a lead. You yeah. know? Like, when was the last time the Jets were up 14 nothing in the first quarter? Wow. It's been a long time. So Yeah, before, before I let you go, I know you're also a golf guy. Any golf stuff you want to share right now? Sure. I mean, uh, for anybody listening that enjoyed, uh, we, had, we the President's Cup was last week. It was an amazing finish. Um, quick update for those that didn't see what went on. Tiger Woods played both as, as a player, and then he was also the captain of the team, which is a, pr- a very prestigious honor. Uh, it, he's, uh, you know, only Tiger Woods could really be a captain and a coach, so he was in charge of being, making the pairings. Um, he had a very risky move by he played the first two days and then sat himself for both sessions on Saturday, and everybody really questioned him, but he said that he trusted his team, and the USA the USA came out on Saturday needing to have a big session to get themselves in the mix. They were down three points going into Sunday, and they were able to, uh, for individual matchups, they were able to make up being down three points. Um, every every match is worth a point. You can either get a full point um, or split a point uh, if you tie. But uh, they came out, and they got it done, and they ended up uh, you know, winning by a full point. So... It was pretty impressive. Uh, some amazing play, especially by uh, guys like Ricky Fowler, Justin Thomas. Tiger played amazing. He yeah, had three individual points. Um, it, it, it was just really cool to watch because the first couple days, the the international team who had never, who only had won, um, you know, just a couple times in the whole history of the Presidents Cup, uh, they they really had the the USA on the ropes. So it was a, it was a great finish and it, it was great for golf. It was great for golf. If you want to follow you on Twitter, how can I do that? You can follow me at out of town fan pod uh, on Twitter. And I have been very active on Twitter lately, especially vocal about uh, some decisions that the Colts have made lately. So if you want to just see at a fan, it doesn't matter of what team just go on a rant. I've been getting actually a lot of random people now liking and following me because I seem to um, I seem to be that kind of obnoxious, sarcastic commenter uh, that people are are kind of commiserating with. So I hope I'm a fun fun listen. All right, Dan. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, and uh, you know, just I want to say for everybody listening, you know, Mike, you've you've done an amazing job with this podcast. Um, anybody else out there that is, um, you know has been on the show. I'm sure we, I'm speaking for all of you as well. We really appreciate you bringing everybody on to give them the chance to rant and talk sports. So we wish you the best of luck for 2020. Thank you, sir. Up next, we're going to have a special feature conversation on the podcast. I actually got a chance to speak to the legendary sports filmmaker, the documentarian, Ross Greenberg. That conversation is coming up right after this. All right, we are back on the Just End the Suffering podcast, our holiday special this year. Last year, we talked to Rick Cerrone about his career in baseball. Today, I'm very happy to have on a multiple-time sports Emmy winner, 
the former president of HBO Sports. You've seen a million of his films and documentaries over the years. I'm joined in the studio today by Ross Greenberg. Ross, how are you today? Good, doing well, Michael. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. And I've gotten to know you over the past year, so I know you have a lot of great stories. I'm looking forward to catching <laughs> up about your life and learning more about this kind of uh, experiences you had. Yeah, I do have a lot of stories. <laughs> it's 40 years of stories. So Yeah. For those who are not aware of Ross Greenberg, he has an incredible resume. He's won 51 sports Emmys, eight Peabody Awards. Am I missing anything? It's actually up to 56 now. Okay, so I am so IMDb was not accurate. <laughs> well, since I left HBO, I've won another five. Okay, so, so it's, the, a, it's a nice, impressive resume, I guess. Yeah, it's a 56er right up there with the Joe DiMaggio hitting streak. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I want to go beyond, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you'll go beyond 56. I think it's a safe bet. So I want to start with this question. So, like, what inspired you to say, you know, I want to be a filmmaker like, with my career? Well, it's funny. I, when I was in high school, actually, I was exposed through Frank Gifford right here, near here in Scarsdale, New York, because he's, his son Kyle and I were best friends, played football all the way through high school. And Frank actually was the first person to identify sports television as a possible career for me in that he put us in as production assistants at Wingfoot for a U.S. Open golf tournament. So uh, I have to thank Frank. He was a wonderful human being, and I considered him a mentor to the day he died. Um, so he really initiated it. And then when I got out of school, college, I decided to hit the road and start with ABC Sports back then in the 70s and found my way to HBO in 1978, which was very, very early. It's crazy that you brought the name ABC Sports. That's not even exist anymore now. I think ESPN took over everything. And can I tell you something? Yeah. At the beginning, ABC Sports was what ESPN is today. They were the place to be for sports television. They had every major championship in every sport you can think of. Um, you know, I can think back. One of my earliest memories was Reggie Jackson's three home runs in the World Series on ABC. <laughs> yeah, that, that is a long time ago. I mean, I interned ABC, WABC in New York City back in like 2011, and I remember they was think a year or two after the changeover, and they had all the old ABC Sports signs just lying around mm -hmm. the office there because they were still trying to figure out what to do with them. Mm -hmm. There was a man named Rune Arledge who yeah. was my hero, and uh, he really started modern day sports television. He was the one who came up with up close and personal, and that was my first exposure to storytelling. To be honest with you, so uh, ever since him. I've decided to, you know, make that my life life uh, life goal. Yeah, and you're very famous for your documentary. So, like, what was the first one you ever pitched? What was the first idea you ever had, and did it actually like get made? It's funny. Uh, the first one that I pitched and got made was called Sports Greatest Upsets, and I, I took four or five of the greatest upsets at that time, <coughs> which obviously included the '69 Super Bowl with Joe Willie Namath beating the Baltimore Colts, but one of the sports greatest upsets was the 1980 hockey team beating the Russians. And uh, I did a little mini piece for that documentary, and that's what really spawned the documentary, the full-length documentary on HBO many years later, which then initiated uh, Miracle. Yeah, that, that documentary on HBO, I know people don't, have not heard of Miracle the movie. Can you talk about like, what it was like to make that actual documentary on the team? Well, it was fun. I mean, we, we got to interview you know, many of them, and uh, came up with some unbelievable stories. I mean, about Herb Brooks's speech and intermissions, about the, the classic scene in Miracle where Herb Brooks 
had them after a tie in Norway uh, during the exhibition season leading up to the Olympics. He had them skate these Herbies, he called them, back and forth on the ice uh, until they turned the lights off in the arena because they wanted to save money. And Herb just had them going at it for like a half an hour. Became one of the classic scenes in movie history uh, when I made Miracle. Yeah, I remember that. I've watched that movie several times. I usually try and get it right around when the Winter Olympics are coming out. I always try and watch it right around then. And like I remember that scene so well, just the them basically doing like the suicides from ice to blue line to blue line back and forth and like it sticks with you like because that's the one thing i remember the most about that movie (laughs) it is well it was a turning point in the team's formation and and it really was it set the tone for the rest of their triumphant win in lake placid yeah so when you what what point did they say did the idea come from like this document is so powerful let's make a movie about it make an actual feature length thing i actually when i was making them documentary I went and got Herb Brooks's life rights for a film because I knew that it was a classic film and you know the story was so rich and so what happened was I had Herb Brooks's rights and I decided to go to Disney Uh, I had a great agent that set me up for a nice little chat with a guy named Mark Varadian at Disney and within 30 seconds of telling him about that project he said I'm in we're buying it so it, yeah. took, it took 30 seconds to sell Miracle to Disney. Yeah, how involved you with the casting process <coughs> of that movie? I know they pick, that Kurt Russell ends up playing Herb Brooks, and then they have a bunch of, like, not as famous guys playing the uh, mm-hmm. players on the team. I think maybe, maybe I think Eddie Cahill is probably Eddie the most, fam- most famous guy. Eddie Cahill, from yeah. Friends? Yeah. <laughs> That's where everyone knows yeah, yeah, he, Eddie from. Yeah, he played Jim Craig, right? <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah, so, like, how involved are you in the casting of that movie? Well, Jim, that role, I wasn't totally involved because Gavin O'Connor the director really took over on casting I will say I had a little bit of a role in Kurt Russell um, just recognizing that he was a great actor and would nail the part we looked at many others but but he ended up being the best you know Herb Brooks we could have ever found but the others you know I didn't know much about one of them the guy who played O'Callaghan he he was just a triple-A, if you will, hockey player. You know, yeah. he played semi-pro, little bit of pro, um, but not in the NHL. And there were quite a few actors who really weren't actors before they made the film. Yeah. Uh, the core, like Eddie Cahill were, and Mike Ruzioni's character, you know, his his role was played by an actor. But but for the most part, there were we surrounded the actors on the ice with top flight college players so that it would look real. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that theory before a lot of sports series where you bring, it's easier to teach athletes to act and teach actors how to play the sports. Is that kind of the theory behind that? The, very much the theory behind it. I did 61 also uh, for HBO, Mantle and Maris and the home run race. And in that scenario, we found, you know, the key is when you have main characters like Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, Thomas Jane, Barry Pepper, you have to you have to make sure they're athletes. That's the one number one thing you have to do in a sports movie. You have to make it real when you do have those scenes that are on the field. And so, but around them, you know, we had some actors. Um, Paul Borghese was, you know, uh, Yogi Berra, and we had um, Michael. Uh, forgot his name now. <laughs> He was, he was in a bunch of movies. But anyway, so we surrounded them 
with real baseball players the way we did in Miracle with real hockey players. Yeah, it is kind of cool. Speaking of 61, I mean, what made you decide that that has to be a movie and not a documentary? Well, interestingly, that started as a as a Mickey Mantle film. Um, I had Mickey, believe it or not, into the offices of HBO. We met with the executive, I mean, the, uh, the president, CEO of HBO, Michael Fuchs at the time, who was a huge Mickey Mantle fan. And I had him signed up if HBO would come up with a million bucks for his rights. But you know, they didn't want to. And uh, at the end of the day, it was about five years later, Mickey passed. And about five years later, I get on my desk a script of a treatment, really, not even a script, a treatment from a guy named Hank Steinberg, who must have been 28 at the time, not, you know, never written much before. And lo and behold, there's this treatment for 61. And I went, wow, now there's a movie. And so I had called up Billy Crystal when I had met with Mickey Mantle at HBO, and he jumped in and said, I'm in. Whenever you want to do this, let's do it. Well, it didn't happen, but as soon as I got that treatment, I called up Billy and I said, you're doing this with me. And he said, I'm in. And so from that point on, we, we set out to make it. Yeah, that movie was fun. Do you have any like fun memories from the making of that movie? A couple. Um, some you know, not so fun. I remember there were about seven takes of Barry Pepper rounding first and sliding into second. And he had gotten so frustrated by the six or so take that I was trying to calm him down in the dugout. I was really mad at Billy. <laughs> but but uh, cuz he was exhausted, you know. And it's not easy to, you know, make the turn around first and slide into second. So, I remember calming him down in the dugout. He took on that persona of Roger Maris a little too well at times <laughs> where he was, you know, a little bit nasty. Um and, you know, fun-loving Thomas Jane took on uh Mickey's life. So, yeah, there were some really cool moments. I remember one other thing and that is walking around the stadium when we wrapped production in Detroit you know we used Detroit Stadium as Yankee Stadium and just you know just Billy and I just rounding that stadium shaking our head my, going my god we're never going to have an experience like this again and it, and indeed I never have yeah yeah it's crazy too I mean people as far as the point about the yeah, Barry Pepper with all the takes people don't people who watch movies don't realize oh it's not just like one take that's done you just like 10, 11, 15 takes. I think you could spend like days shooting just two scenes just to make sure you get it exactly right. It's funny. Each director is different. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, yeah. I mean, Billy Billy liked taking uh, quite a few, you know, different takes of the same scene and um, different angles. Uh, but it is, it's a cumbersome, very monotonous uh, thing to do. And for an actor, it's really tough to just get it all together every la every time you you have a take to do yeah for sure and what was it like working with billy crystal a lot of fun i mean he's hysterical i mean some people are just born comedians he lives his life you know making people laugh and uh when he's on it's you'll laugh the entire day just one after another like rapid fire um he's a special person and you know we became really really close and uh, i think he looks back on his career, and yeah, he's had some unbelievable films that he's done, but I think 61 was one of the best experiences of his life. Yeah, I know. I must say a thrill for him because he's a huge, huge, huge Yankee fan. So getting to tell huge. that story was probably a thrill for him. Unbelievable thrill. Yeah. And, like, we got 
spine-tingling moments when we walked out on the field. I'll never forget one story. Merlin Mantle, who's Mickey's wife, um, and Danny and David Mantle all came to the set. And when we brought them into the stadium and on the green grass were number seven and number nine in Yankee, you know, 1961 uniforms, she started crying. Marilyn Mantle started crying um, because she felt like she was reliving her life. That's insane. That is insane. Yeah. Now, I know you've done some great stories. So, like, what is it about a story that says, you know what, I have to do something about this? What, like, makes it stick out to you? Well, I can tell you that uh, Game 3 of the um, World Series in 2001, my mom had died, and I came back from Texas. She died on September 9th, so September 11th hit. I came back to New York, and a month later, you know, the Yankees were in the World Series. And... I remember coming home one day and saying to my wife, you know, I I really want to go to the game. I want to get back to normal. And so I went to that game, sat in in my seat, and watched the president go out to the mound, throw out the first pitch uh, with the Secret Service rimming the infield and looking up into the stands, the Secret Service, okay? And I saw the... You know, the shooters up on the roof of Yankee Stadium, poised to, to get a sniper. And I said, wow, this is not a baseball game anymore. This is much more. And then after that game, Yankees win that game. But after that game, you know, Jeter hits his home run, Tino hits his home run, and they win these miraculous games. And I said to myself, this is not just a baseball series. This is something much more. I'd never felt the shake of Yankee Stadium like that. So I got into my office the next day, and this is when you know you've got a documentary, and I sat down with a couple of producers. I said, we're not going to do this right now, but I know that I have just been living through a documentary at this point. You know, 9-11 was plenty, but the return to baseball for normalcy, you know, created nine innings from ground zero. And the, 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 reason, the reason I'll green light a film is that it can't just be about a baseball game or a soccer game in context of the Women's World Cup in 99. There has to be a deeper meaning behind it. As soon as I can sense there is one, like the women's movement for 99's you know, Women's World Cup, that's when I know I have a documentary. Yeah, it's definitely interesting because I've always been wondering for, like, for at least a couple of years, I'm sitting there wondering like, the one that story has jumps out at me it has not been like documentarized yet. I'm just surprised. It's like tell me, I'll take it. Like, the, <laughs> and we'll do the, it together. Yeah, the the Cubs breaking the curse in '16. I'm surprised no one has jumped on that. Actually, yet. they did. Yeah, that's I, a, there's a thirty for thirty. You missed it. Is I, it? I like. I, I didn't know they actually had one of the curse break. I know they had one about. Bartman. Oh, they went out of Bartman. Right, you're right. Yeah. Maybe they didn't have one on the curse. We did, of course. Yeah. Curse of the Bambino. Yeah. You saw that one. Yeah. On the Red Sox, but you're right. There's there's definitely something there, Especially no question. With 108 years between World yeah. Series, yeah. all the stuff with the Billy Goat, yeah. Dartman could be looped in. I mean, there's like so much there. I'm surprised nobody has jumped yeah. in that yet. Yeah, not yet. So let's do it. Yeah, I would do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like hire me right now. We go do it right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
Yeah, but like let's, let's go. Let's go back to to uh, Nyings and Grounds here. I watched that one, and I think the thing that was so striking about that film was not just like as you said, it's not just the baseball, not just all nine eleven. It's about all these people you talk to throughout the throughout the film who like talk about their experiences with nine eleven, but baseball brought them just that little bit of joy, bringing a little bit of normalcy. Like that sort of like really thing made that film stick out to me. That was the core of the theme of the film was yeah. to show that nine eleven can happen, but you know people just just try to come up with something to make their life normal again, to try to get some normalcy back. And baseball and the Yankees afforded that for so many people in New York. And But what we did was we searched for people that really had a direct connection. You know, we found Brielle and her mom, whose father and husband was one of the pilots of the, of the you know, plane that went down in Pennsylvania. And... Um, and they really used the Yankees to bring her back. Yeah. Uh, she met with her hero, Derek Jeter, just before one of the World Series games. And, you know, that part of the movie, you just got to get, you have to get the Kleenex out because it's just very emotional. It is. And I mean, part, you look back at that series, it, it's so funny because, like, people almost forget at times that the Diamondbacks actually won that series. I because, know. Because, like, you don't realize until, like, you get kind of forget about it. You get to the end, like, oh, yeah, they did win that game. Talk about your life coming full circle. You know where I was the night of Game 7 of that World Series? No. I was in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, we were nominated for 61 yeah. for an Emmy, yeah. and I was going to accept if we had won. We didn't win. Yeah. Um, but I remember just after the ceremony, because it's a three-hour time difference, I come back. Out of the, you know, at about 8.30 or so, yeah. I come out of the ceremony and we're listening to Mariano giving yeah. up those that Luis Gonzalez hit. Yeah, this, this might be a little triggering for Yankee fans listening to this. So we should, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm a Mets fan. It doesn't bother me too much. But we'll, we'll move on to some other stuff. That you, that, That's a good point. Yeah. So move on a little bit to some of the HBO sports stuff. And, like, this thing that I love the most, I think, is Hard Knocks. I love yeah. that series. Like, I watch it every summer. I remember I really yeah. got it the first time when the Jets were on it back in 2010. In the well, second that was, year. took me three years to get our Jets. Yeah, it, how, it took you three years to get the Jets? Yes. Yeah. So, I worked on that for three years with Woody Johnson and Mike Tannenbaum, who was the GM at the time, and ultimately Rex. And, uh, boy, that was a celebration. I had a lunch, or a, actually it was a breakfast with Woody Johnson and Mike Tannenbaum at the uh, Regency in New York City, where we solidified it. And uh, Rex never had a problem doing it. I'm and sure I, he did. I knew he was gonna be. I knew he was gonna be special. It's interesting because I, you know, that was the first reality sports show. Yeah. Um, Steve Sable and I got a call from a guy named Marty Colner who had the idea to do rookies trying to make a NFL football team, and we kind of steered him a little deeper. Uh, Sable and I said, well, let's not just do rookies. Let's Let's follow a team through preseason, and the rookies become a nice story, but there's a lot of other things going on. You know, veterans on the bubble and guys fighting for positions and just a lot of characters on a team. So the, the first team was the Baltimore Ravens having just beaten the Giants, sorry Giant fans, in the Super Bowl the year before. And so we had some real characters, Shannon Sharp, Tony Saragusa, some wild people on that team. So we took off like a bat out of hell, but then... You know, we had, I don't know, seven or more seasons of it. 
A couple seasons we took off because we couldn't get the right. But lo and behold, in 2010, I said, you know what? Let's let's try and get Rex because they were just emerging as something really special. They had gotten to the championship game, and bang, we we relit that series. Yeah, I feel the Jets series was sort of the turning point for Hard Knocks. I feel like it was. It was. It, I feel like it was kind of slipping a little bit, and then the Jets brought it back, and everybody was sort of yeah. back in it because yeah. Had, and don't forget the Revis holdout. Yeah, yeah that there was. There were a lot of little subplots in that. Yeah, the, one of the things I love about that episode, I mean, like that series, like the. Just following the whole Revis thing, especially like the time that you guys had cameras up at the diner where they were negotiating the contract. Roscoe Diner. Yeah. I, that's why I drove to the Cooperstown recently. I actually passed the Roscoe Diner on yes, my way up there. Yes, you did. Yeah. Yes, you did. And also, so we were going back and forth up to camp because Rex used to take them up into upstate New York. Um, that's why it was at the Roscoe Diner. And I'll never forget shooting that scene and getting those the, the uh, tapes back of Rex just going after Revis's agent on the phone. I don't know if you remember yes, that. Yes, I do scene. remember that. <laughs> and, and when we got the takes back, um, there was plenty we couldn't put in yeah. because if you, you know, we took out a lot of four-letter F-bombs yep. and everything. Um, if you ever saw the raw tape of that, you would laugh like you've never laughed before because Rex, Rex was ready to reach to the phone and grab that agent by the throat. Yeah. He was so angry. Yeah, and I remember, like, Rex was such a character that entire season. I remember the whole scene about him, like, having the rant in the hotel, then telling the oh, team, let's yeah. go get a snack. Let's like, go get a snack. Yeah. Because if you remember, the reason that line became so classic is that at the beginning, there was a <laughs> there was a, a kind of a, a whiteboard that had the schedule on yeah. it. And so the last thing on the schedule was <laughs> snack. Yeah. And so... You know, at the end of this wild speech where he's just blistering the team, he goes, let's go get a bang-bang snack. Yeah, family <laughs> family friend. If you want the full audio, it's on YouTube. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Another one. You know one from the Jet one I want to ask about is, like, I'm sure when you got the audio of Antonio Camardi trying to list out the name <laughs> of his kids, like, did you guys know immediately, like, this is gold, we have to get this in the episode? Yeah, we did. <laughs> we knew we had to get it in, but... To be honest, we didn't know how we were going to get it yeah. by the Jets. Yeah. We were shocked that Antonio Cromarty and the Jets said, yeah, go ahead and use it. But because yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. I mean, he didn't know his kids' names. Uh, there were just too many of yeah. them. So it was really funny. Yeah, so you mentioned it about getting it by the team. Like, So how does that work? It's like you got, I know well, you take a cut of the episode of the yeah, team, and they, yeah. and they have the ability to just take out whatever they don't want the public to see. Yeah, I mean, look, it's very – some of this stuff strategically can't go in because they don't want to give any secrets away, the secret sauce away to opponents. Um, but some things like that, you know, we just assumed was a little too embarrassing or if the, you know, if the language gets out of control – um, they might tell us to take some of it out. But in the Jets' case, you know, they didn't really care. And, you know, I do a lot of NHL product now. There's certain teams that care and certain teams that are like, eh, go ahead and use it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were stars. I mean, there's all, there were all tons of great moments. That I remember, like, I think when the Dolphins were on, they had that scene of Chad Johnson getting cut in the office. Yeah. I was surprised that made the air. Yeah. yeah. You know, interestingly, I heard, I didn't watch a lot of it, but this past year – I think Gruden basically told uh, HBO and the NFL films crews, you're not even going to be allowed in as we make our cuts. So yeah, I think certain teams that, really don't really want that. 
kind of intimacy. But I think that's really detracting from what we set out to do when we started yeah. the, you know, the series. I don't even remember that much about this summer. It's hard now. It's a lot of it was just too much of the Antonio Brown melodrama. They didn't even give you as much as they probably could have with it. Yeah. And I think that was Gruden blocked quite a bit. That's what I heard. That yeah, he, and that's true. Yeah, he did block a ton of it, and like I wasn't there. I know you weren't I've there. Like, yeah, like because obviously you're not there anymore. Like they kept the series going. So that's sort of been like the blueprint for all these like sports mm-hmm. documentary shows come after like all or nothing based with the same formula set over the course of a season correct 24 7 like leading up to the boxing matches or the or the winter classic i've seen a bunch of those follow the same kind of ideas following the players well, off i've the field. been doing that yeah so some of them i still do uh for various networks yeah. you know uh showtime e- uh or espn plus we do quest for the stanley cup where we take the teams right through the stanley cup um but I like to, you know, I, I don't like the cheap imitations where yeah. people don't spend the money to actually do it well or use the wrong personnel behind the camera um, that can't really deliver the goods. Uh, so I encourage everyone to copy, but uh, please get the resources and do it right. And it's not like, you know, I have a saying in television, and you can use it, Michael. Yeah. Radio works, too. It's not the wand, it's the magician. In other words, you can give the same people the same resources, but unless you know talent, unless you can recognize talent the way Bill Belichick does and mold that talent into a team and execute the way the New England Patriots do, right, and put a television show together, then you have nothing if you don't do that. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I've, I, it's the same thing. Like, we put two people, in, two different people in here on the microphones. They could do something that's just not nearly as good. They just don't have the ability to do it. And it's not as entertaining as you and me. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> I will not name names on that one. I had an example today on the day of recording, and it just drove me crazy. But I'm not going to get into that on, on the air here. But in, ter- in terms of the quest for the Stanley Cup thing, I mean, you sh- I've seen some of this show. It's a lot of fun. Like, it's, I imagine it's such a challenge having to turn it around yeah. so much quicker. Like on each on Hard Knocks, I mean, yeah. you have like a week. I mean, there are cases sometimes where there were just days, days to just turn around the entire hour-long show. You're absolutely right. It's a challenge. And, you know, when we started this kind of programming, we weren't sure we had the technology to even do it. But over the years instantaneously you can almost start editing as soon as you shoot something like for instance on quest for the stanley cup when we get the first period back in the studios in new york we immediately then this can be an hour after the first period's played we can start editing it so you know what we couldn't 10 20 15 20 years ago we couldn't do that Um, we had to ship the tapes back and they show up the next day now we can almost do it you know eight hours later yeah, because now it's not as simple as like, oh, I have to go get the tape. I have to put the tape in the player. I have right. to go through the reel. Now like, it's just like I'll take the memory card. I'll put the file That's on right. my computer, drop it on a Dropbox, and That's then we right. just take ingest it off the Dropbox. It. Yeah. We call it ingesting yeah. into our servers yeah. where we're doing the editing on our uh, Avids, and, and away we go. Um, but still, there's such a mountainous amount of material. You know, There's still an editor named Tim Mullen and Jackie Decker who – are the quickest, most uh, entertaining editors you'll ever find. I mean, they just have a knack for doing this differently and spectacularly. It's just really, really fun to watch them work. Yeah. Aside from the obvious projects you work on, is there one that doesn't get talked about enough you feel like is a really good piece? Oh, wow. Now you're challenging me. Um, 
I feel like everybody kind of mentioned. Yeah, everyone talks about Magic and Bird. Everyone talks about nine innings. They talk about when it was a game actually probably doesn't get enough attention because it's so old now. It was made in 1990. And to be honest, that that film created all of the subsequent 80 films that I've done since because in about an eight-month period prior to that film coming out, I kind of structured a new way of doing sports docs for me yeah uh, style you know where yep. we took took film we we didn't even have the guys on camera we just took their narration their voices from interviews and had this home uh, movie color film that we had gathered a hundred hours of which we used you know um, an hour um, and and it just we just Put it together differently. We had a lot of pros in there. Uh, we had a lot of different um, actors and actresses reading them, and it just it just set a new tone for the way we delivered a documentary. And I think, you know, I, I would hope that people out there can dig it up when it was a game. It's called and and just put it on because it's it's as evergreen as anything I've ever done. It looks at baseball from the 30s through the 50s, and it gives you a sense of what the game was all about when it was a game. Yeah. So you've basically done like I look if you look at the uh, Ross's IMDb page, he basically has documents basically every single type of sports. Like, is there one that you like doing the most in terms of like if there's like a particular like a hockey story that draws you in more? Is it like a soccer story, baseball? Is it like you know? It's funny you should say that. I I think baseball has a tendency to be very romantic in its historic kind of expression um and i so i love love baseball but and maybe when it was a game had an impact on that but at its core it's the story that dictates how powerful it's going to be i'm thinking of fists of freedom the carlos smith documentary where we explain the black fists in the air for once we were able to draw out why they did it and and what the context was of of them putting their fists in the air in Mexico City. Um, little known story for a lot of those under the age of 50, but but a very powerful one about civil rights in this country, and very similar to what's going on with Colin Kaepernick. So there's a story about track and field. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know. Looking back, I had a, I have another saying. It's make them laugh, make them cry, make them think. And I've always kind of told the people that I work with, that's that's what you want to draw out in people is emotion. And, um, you know, I think when I'm watching one of our films, even if I've seen it 80 times because I've watched 79 rough cuts, I can still get emotional at just the right moments. Um and that's when I know we've got a powerful one. Absolutely. And, like, for anybody out there who's, like, listening to this who, like, wants to get into, like, sports documentaries or documentaries in general, what would you, like, tell them? Watch all of them. I'm serious. Watch all of our films. Look, I got to tell you, Michael, one of the things you asked me, you know, what has me the most upset is we have a group of people that we've put together over the last 30 years and we've done about 80 to 100 documentary films together you know different people but i you know my name's on all of them and yet i think the thing that bugs me more than anything is that 
the American public think that ESPN's 30 for 30 created the genre. And I'm here to tell you, Steve Sable, Bud Greenspan, and our 80 films created this genre. And I'd like you to all watch all of them and just don't just settle for what's been done in the last 10 years on 30 for 30. Yeah. Because there's a lot of great stuff out there. And watch all of Bud Greenspan's film and watch what Steve Sable and NFL Films did all those years. Yeah, I get that. So, I mean, there's nothing against Dark Thirty, which has done some great stuff. Like the OJ Made in America thing yeah. is fantastic. But, like, you know, by the just, way, produced yeah. by, produced and directed by Ezra Edelman, yeah. who worked for me at yeah. HBO. <laughs> so, so, that was, so, that was a source of pride to see, to see him go on to win an Oscar yeah. for that. Yeah, you bet it was. Yeah. And uh, congratulations to him. He did a great job. Yeah, saying like, yeah, just because like Dark Thirty puts out a, and I've reviewed some of them on my podcast, just because they put out a documentary about like the hot dog eating guys does not mean it's going to be good. Like, there's not the, mm-hmm. they're not the only ones who have a market a monopoly on this thing. Mm-hmm. Just because like, and, and by the way, many of those are very outstanding documentaries. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, Marcus Dupre, fantastic documentary. Um, you know, I have nothing but praise to heap on 30 for 30 and connor shell and the work that they do believe me yeah it's just like they're not the only ones in the game basically people, no. people we want people to get out of this that, no. that you're not I, limited to that one style and you, you know your listeners are very very lucky because we're at a time and a place in television and film where there's quite a few being made yeah you know in the old days it was just hbo churning them out and now there's plenty to see yeah, I mean, I'm even working on something myself. I'm not going to put details out there yet because it's not quite done. You know what it is, but I, I am still working on one. Yes, you are, and I'm trying to help a little bit. Yeah, I do appre- <laughs> appreciate that. So before we before we let you go, do you want to, like, tease any stuff you have in the works right now that might be coming out in the next couple of months or maybe next year or so? Well, I mean, I just got hired by ESPN to do a film on uh, the University of North Carolina's Anson Dorrance and their – incredible hockey dynasty that no one knows about um he formed a women's team really the women formed it themselves off of a club team in in north carolina and then anson became their coach and they've churned out 21 national titles unbeknownst to anyone in the united states of america um and so it's time to kind of tribute them and and kind of look at what he's done uh, in generating the Mia Hams, the Carl Overbecks, and so on and so on and so on. Christine Lilly, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it just keeps going. So that's in the works. I'm also working on Road to the Winter Classic right now, uh, you know, as Nashville and Dallas tee it up at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas on, a, on a, uh, January 1. And so we're right in the middle of production on that. Yeah, that's a. That, I saw that was the Winter Classic this year. I like to adult take. I'm like, Isn't that, that seems, weird. It's like seems so weird because like <laughs> you, you wonder what like I know the too warm, too warm is the ice. <laughs> they got issues with puddling on the ice. Like, well, they don't yeah, actually. Yeah. You know, they we did an outdoor game in California in yeah. Los Angeles, yeah. and there was no issue with puddling. Now with modern technology, they can make sure the ice holds. Yeah, absolutely, Ross. Thank you for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, is there any way people can like keep up with like what you're doing on social media? Social media, you can go to rossgreenbergproductions.com. Pretty vibrant website, and we have a lot of our material there, uh, a lot of, you know, video to look at, little trailers and things, and you can see what's up, what we've done in the past, and what we're going to do. 
Um, I'm not especially adept. Every once in a while, you can follow me on Twitter. I'll come out with some uh, comments about the, you know, where we are in sports or where things are. But uh, for the most part, just you know, search and right. keep on top of it. Search and find. Search and find. All right, Ross. Thank you for all the time. I really appreciate it. All right, Michael. All right, and there you have it. That was our interview with Ross Greenberg, the former president of HBO Sports, noted sports documentarian. A lot of fun conversation there with Ross. Up next, we will do another documentary-inspired feature. I'm going to be joined in the studio by Joe D'Aloisio, who has produced his own sports documentary. That is coming up right after this. When you think of sports radio, you may think of some of your favorite hosts. Mike Francesa, Chris Russo, Michael Kay, Jim Rome, the list goes on. You may even think about some of the more outlandish opinions you've heard across the airwaves. This is a story that I just don't buy. Durant to the Warriors. I think there's zero chance it happens. Or perhaps some of the funniest phone calls. Ken on the call phone, what's up, Ken? Hey, Mike, how you doing? Good. I just want to talk about uh, how I don't think the Mets are going to re-sign David Wright. But I also, real quick, I also know you're a big movie buff. And for the kids, you should probably watch the Smurfs because they probably love Sleepy. It's just like their dad, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, another real good joke. But have you ever thought of a host's life beyond the microphone? All right, that voice you just heard is our next guest on the podcast. We just talked to Ross Greenberg about his history-making documentaries, and this guy just finished his own. Joe D'Aloisio is here. We're not talking football today. We're talking some documentary. Joe, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me, as always. Not a problem. And we just heard the introduction, the first about 45 seconds of your of your documentary. It's on Vimeo right now, Beyond the Microphone. So let me start off by saying how exciting is it for you to have this thing done out in the world? Oh, it is. It's super exciting. It's super rewarding. And it's really just amazing to have an idea, right? Literally just have an idea that starts off, you know, pretty much on paper, just a thought that you float out there. And then interviewing people, getting B-roll and putting it all together and then seeing the finished product. I mean, it's really rewarding. It is rewarding. And for I know the history of this process, and this was not your initial idea. I feel like you went through about three or four ideas before you landed on this one. Yeah, it actually wasn't. Um, this was my third my third idea. Yeah. Uh, the first idea, I was thinking of doing something along, along the lines uh, about Major League Soccer. But then that, to me, was a little bit too generic. Yeah. Then I thought, well, since I'm here at Iona College, let me try to do something on an athlete. But that was... That was difficult just because, you know, the athlete schedules, um, class, work, that balance. And then I just thought of, you know what, I used to, before I came to Iona, I used to work in sports radio. Let me see if I could find something in that industry that not not a lot of people talk about. And that's how I came up with it. Yeah, as everybody talks about sports, I think about, oh, you know, like like those calls we heard at the beginning, the crazy opinions or the wacky callers who call whack, who come up with these crazy ideas on their phone calls. Like, they'll talk about, like, what the hosts really do once they shut the mic off for the day. Yeah, and that's a great thing. I mean, uh, and I had the, uh, the opportunity to interview um, three r- very well-known sports radio hosts, and it's not just those three. You know, um, I kept it to the New York area, and I'm sure there are a ton of other hosts that – 
are in the New York area that I didn't get a chance to speak to. Um, with that being said, though, there are so many people out there that are doing so many good things to make this this world a better place, and they deserve that recognition. Yeah, for those who have not seen it yet, and again, I recommend you go check it out on Vimeo. We'll put the link in the episode description so that people can click on it and go right to that. So that'll be make it nice and easy for them. But Thank you, Mike. Yeah, so the people who Joe has spoke to in this piece, only three people interviewed, and they are big names. Damon Mendelara from CBS Sports Network, Chris Canty from ESPN Radio, and Tiki Barber also from CBS Sports Radio. So... How did you get in contact with all three of those guys? Because those are very big names to land. So with DA, I had the privilege of working with DA. So when I was at, C- when I was at CBS Sports Radio, um, I was a producer there on the weekends, but I was also DA's associate producer when he was hosting from 6 p.m. Eastern time to 10 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, I, built, I built a really close relationship working with uh, DA, not only you know at work, but also when we were out of the office. We, we have a great relationship. Uh, Tiki is another guy, uh, being that I worked at CBS Sports Radio, that we built uh, somewhat of a relationship. I never uh, worked with Tiki in a full-time capacity, but when I was part-time, uh, there were plenty of shifts where I had the opportunity to work with him. Uh, we were always together in the newsroom, at, at depending on uh, what day, time. So, um, Actually, it's funny because I was hoping to get Tiki um, and asking Tiki, the same day that I went and I uh, interviewed DA. And I was saying goodbye to one of my former colleagues, and one of my former colleagues uh, looked over at Tiki because they were all setting shop, getting ready for their show coming up, um, and goes, hey, Tiki, do you, re- do, you remember, do you remember this guy? And Tiki was like, yeah, of course, it's Joe. Hey, Joe, how are you? What are you doing here? And I said, well, actually, I'm here uh, filming a documentary. Uh, about sports radio and hosts that give back to the community and being involved. He's like, oh, wow, that's a great topic. So I said, you know, now that I actually have you face-to-face, this is a great opportunity to ask you, hey, is this something that you'd be interested in? And he said, yes, absolutely. So it kind of um, right place, right time, and it made it come, made everything come together. And finally with Chris, I have no prior relationship with Chris at all. Um, we've met a couple times at events like the Gridiron Gala, uh, which is a huge event hosted by United Way each year. Current, former players um, come out and um, represent United Way as well as other organizations that they work with. It's a great it's a great evening of really celebrating all the work that these athletes are doing away from the field and off the field. So um, Chris came to mind right away, and I decided to reach out to ESPN, uh, reach out to his producer specifically to see, hey, is this something that Chris would be interested in doing? And the producer got back to me relatively quickly and said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that you got, like, obviously having the relationships helps, and that's something people don't realize. Like, it's a lot of this is in this industry. It's like who you know specifically because, like, you couldn't – like, there are people you probably, like, could have – would not would have been cool to get, but you just don't have the relationships where, like – Sometimes having the relationships helps. Sometimes cold, like just emailing helps. But like, it's all about who you know. Sometimes, yeah, that definitely helps. One piece of advice that I would give anybody when it comes to comes to this, and not that I should be giving that much advice because this is my first and only. But I hope to make some. Well, more you've done the, you've done more than ninety eight percent of the listening audience. Uh, uh, well, thank you, Mike. Thank yeah. you. But again, I hope to do more in, in the near future. But with that being said, send an email out. Yeah. Send an email out. 
call people, you know. So how did I – I didn't know who Chris's producer was. I did my research. I found who he was, found his email, just sent him a message. Yeah. You know, they, you know, I could have just said, hey, I don't know any – I don't know how I could get in contact with him. Let me try to find somebody else that I could get in contact with. But I think don't be afraid to send those messages. Don't be afraid to, to open up that network. Yeah, exactly. It's a, a lot of times like how this podcast gets booked too is I'll just reach out to people like, hey, do you want to do this? And like worst that could happen is they don't answer you. Exactly. Yeah. And then you just go on to the next person. But yeah. you, you can't live not um, without trying at least. Yeah, so obviously this is a big, exhausted project. So like what was the biggest challenge putting the whole thing together? I think really the biggest challenge – well, there's a couple things. One was finding time to go interview all three hosts because obviously – other than their their daily shows, these guys are, are very busy people, whether it's, you know, doing other gigs elsewhere or just life in general, right? Um, so organizing time and giving myself enough time to be able to go and meet them in, t- in the city, in their studios, to film with them, that was one difficult part. Another thing that was pretty difficult was then I have all the footage, right? I have all the interviews. Going through everything and kind of seeing what I definitely want and what I don't want, what I definitely need, what I don't need. I mean, because with all three of them combined, I probably had close to an hour's worth of interview. You know, maybe even longer. Yeah, and the whole piece itself is just 16 minutes and 55 seconds, including credits. Exactly. Yeah. So you could only imagine how much I still have that just didn't make the cut yeah there's a lot of footage on the cutting room floor oh there's a ton yeah there's a ton um if i had to guess i mean there's there's at least 40 minutes or so so you know going through everything making sure it all flowed um that that definitely was that definitely was tough but one thing that made it easier and this is something that i have to give credit to ross uh ross greenberg who you guys just listened to the best in the business when it comes to this was making that paper cut you know, putting everything literally in a Word document, my entire script, uh, transcribing every interview and putting those transcriptions and adding notes when I would add B-roll and music change. I took everything that was in that Word document and threw it into Adobe Premiere and started editing. And it flowed immediately, and then that final, you know, three months was kind of just finessing, changing, shortening clips, editing, color correcting, things like that. Yeah, so let's talk about that paper cut specifically. How long did it take you to put that entire document together before you even got into the- Oh, it, it took me it took me probably six or seven months yeah. before I even touched you know, the editing software. Yeah, which is ama- ma- maybe even longer. Which is amazing. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. you people, know, people don't realize how much work goes into one 15-minute video. And that's crazy because you, we've, we've both watched yeah. hour-long documentaries. Just think about how long of that process is. Yeah, like, think about that. Imagine how long it took them to edit O.J. Made in America, which is five hour and a half documentaries. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. It gives you a new – after doing something like this, it does give you a new appreciation of watching documentaries. Yeah. A, you have a different eye for it, right, because you're starting to look for things that you wouldn't usually look for, noticing things that you wouldn't notice. And then you think about all the time that you spent sitting at a desk editing, and then you're like, wow, this, this is five hours long. My 15-minute piece – took nearly a year yeah 
Yeah, even with like the extra help that they have, it's not like obviously those documents are not just one person doing. It. It's not like one. It's not like Ezra Allen did the entire thing by himself. But still, that's a lot of work. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you know, that's the other good, the cool experience about this is, I had no help. Yeah, it was all, it was all on me. The the editing, the the producing, the directing, the music choice, the like everything was on me. Complete creative control. So that was also rewarding to see that I could you know put something like this together. Yeah, and there was a lot of good stuff in this thing, but I think what was your one of your favorite moments? I think that came out of this thing. What was like the one of the most interesting things you got on tape? So a couple things. Um, one with Da, um, when Da is talking about one of his most memorable experiences about visiting um, visiting a listener in Boston with the Room to Dream Foundation, um, he was talking about how the the listener had a Lego figure of D.A. and a Lego figure of Sean, D.A.'s producer. Who's been on this podcast before, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just the way that D.A. described it and, and the emotion there, it just everything came full circle. That was one moment that, that really that stood out to me. And another one that was way more emotional um, was with Tiki. Uh, I knew going into the interview – that I, I, I wanted to ask something um, about September 11th because we all know the amount of work that um, athletes and everyday civilians really did in wake of 9-11, helping, you know, going going to ground zero, speaking to people, just, just being there as for, uh, for support. So I knew I wanted to ask him that, and when I did, his answer, and from every single person that I've asked to, to review or to look over the doc and give me feedback, said that Tiki's response to that question gave them chills. And to, to this day, I mean, I could wa- I've watched this documentary way too many times, <laughs> but to this day, every time I hear that quote from Tiki, I get chills. Yeah, speaking of that quote, that, is a, that section I think is about like, of the sixteen minutes, I think it's almost like three minutes of Tiki talking about nine eleven. So, like, I pulled a little bit of it. So, let's play some of that from Tiki being like discussing nine eleven. That was as rough a situation I've ever felt emotionally because I lived in the city at the time. So, I I, I felt it. I mean, it was it was real to me. The, the fear and the anxiety was palpable. Um, we as a team, along with the Jets, made a determination that we couldn't play. And, and a lot of it was was because our stadium looked over across the river at the World Trade Center, which smoked for, I don't know, two weeks or three weeks. Um, combined with that, our parking lot was a commuter lot. So there were times where we'd come out, like, these cars haven't left. And we realized that, you know, so many people had lost their lives and it was it was right there you know it's one thing to see it from afar from across the country uh, but when it's right in your face every day that you go to work it, it got emotional yeah that was a really really good cut yeah i mean like just hearing him say you know us realizing that our lot was a commuter lot and cars didn't move for days i mean even though you're not there you could just picture it yeah. You could just see it and imagine, you know, it's already such a 
tragic event. Uh, imagine just having to go to work. You're you're near it. You're not right there, and you see that every day. Yeah. yeah. And, and the toll that it must take on you. Uh, it just from that quote alone. I felt like I could ask Tiki if I had more time. I could have made a whole other documentary just about that. Yeah. Because, I mean, there, there's just so much there. There's just so much there. Yeah, there is. I remember specifically, like, NF, the NFL Network did a special a couple of years ago about, like, the NFL after 9-11. And they played that clip, and they showed the footage of the cars sitting in the parking lot with no one there. And it's, it hits you like, wow, like, these are all people who just went to work, and they're never coming back. And it's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 so sad, but that just that point of the documentary. Um, one thing again, I'll go back to Ross. Uh, one thing that he always said when overseeing and talking about the documentaries is, you know, make him cry, make him laugh, make him think. That and, definitely did that. You know, I think that quote alone, alone, not including the rest of the documentary definitely had some people with tears in their eyes yeah it definitely it definitely definitely did and i think the thing like obviously it does bring home the message about how important it is to like give back to the community because like you never know when the end is coming and like make the most of your time on on this earth yeah and honestly um it's even kind of in some ways inspired me right like I don't need to go to a charity event every week. I don't need to do something every day. But when you can help out, help somebody. Because you don't know what people are going through. And no matter how bad you think your life is, it's a lot worse for a ton of people out there. You know, sometimes we complain that that our internet service stinks or our cell phones aren't working fast enough. But, you know, there's people that are sleeping in on the streets in in the cold winter of New York City there's there's people that don't have money for food so i mean it it goes it goes a long way there it, you don't you don't have to do something monumental i mean if you see someone who's hungry and you just get you know get him a burger from McDonald's i mean that's that's way more than anybody else would have done so and you know it's not it it makes you feel good and you're also trying to help as best as you can yeah, for sure. It's a good message. This piece comes out, and now that it's out there, like, what's the next step with it? Like, I, I obviously I know there's a lot of community organizations that were involved. All the charities probably thrilled that there's pieces out there. So, like, what's the next step with this thing? So, really, the next step is just trying to get as much exposure ex- exposure as possible with it. Um, I'm going to be going to each um, specific organization, sending it to them, and hopefully, they'll use this as some sort of marketing tool to to get some more people, more eyes on what they're doing. Um, and then, uh, th- you know, that that's really it. Ideally, though, I'm going to be honest. Um, if I have an opportunity to go film, whether it's DA, Chris, or Tiki at an event in the nearby future, I'd love to be able to do that and implement some of that footage into the documentary. I think this is something that I'll continue to work on more if, if you know, if the timing works out so uh, I'm excited I'm excited for not only this piece but even the future because really I'm hoping that this piece is a is a stepping stone to more pieces to come absolutely and again that piece beyond the microphone it's on Joe's Vimeo account 
Joe, we will put that link in the podcast episode description so that people can find it and watch it. But if people want to follow you directly on social media, how can they do that? All right. If you want to follow me on Twitter, follow me at Joe double underscore. Do not forget the double. D-A-L-O-I-S-I-O. All right, Joe. Thanks for the time. I really appreciate it. Mike, thank you. I really appreciate it. You, you're you're far too kind for letting me come on to this podcast and, and talk about the doc, so I sincerely appreciate that. I, I Hey, no problem. I mean, our friend Martino Puccio still has a money in the bank pass whenever his gets finished, he's welcome to come back on and talk about it. Abs- so Absolutely. You actually finished, so I figured, you know what? Like, this is a good thematic fit right after Ross Greenberg. It's the holiday special after all. I, so. I certainly do not belong in the same sentence as Ross Greenberg, but I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, up next, we are going to have a little fun here, reflect on the year that was. We will have a little holiday clip show with some moments of the year with Will Schneiderhan right after this. All right, we're back here on the holiday special of the Just and the Suffering podcast. Hope you've been enjoying the ride, and the holiday special would not be complete without an appearance by this podcast unofficial co-host. Welcome into the show, Will Schneiderhan. Will, welcome. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? Doing good. I say it's been a fun show so far. I mean, we've had Ross Greenberg on telling some great stories. Joe D was just on here talking about his documentary he completed. And I got to tell you, those are some good stories we just heard. Oh, absolutely. Two great guys to hear from. And uh, I like how you tie it up with uh, Ross as our professor for our thesis class. And Joe D did the thesis and uh, turned out really, really good. Yes, it did. I'm very, very happy to hear Joe, but he got to put this piece together. I will now that here. I am working on one as well for this class. I'm not going to say what it is yet because I'm still in the process of filming, but I think you'll, you will, you know what it is. People will be excited about the end product. Oh, yes. It will be It'll be a good one. Yeah. I will say I've done a lot of traveling for this one, so there are some, <laughs> there are some good shoots in there. Definitely. Yeah. So the reason you're here and the reason we're continuing this right now is we are recapping some of the moments of the podcast throughout the year. I did this on the 50th episode special back in, I want to say, May with Joe D'Aloisio. This time you're here to do some recapping of highlights from the year. So where do you want to go first? I got baseball. I got some hockey. I got pop culture, basketball, football. What do you feel like? Uh, let's let's go with some baseball. Hot stove's really hot. So, <laughs> Speaking of the hot, hot stove, so going back to our fantasy football episode on the playoff preview edition, Nick Friday was the guest on the picks. After we did the picks, I asked him for his bold prediction for the Yankee offseason. And this is his take. And he had a hot one. I am going to go on a limb, and a lot of people disagree with me on this one. I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to sign Garrett Cole. I know they met with him today. You are convinced it's happening next week. I actually think it's going to happen. I know a lot of fans don't think so, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me. I actually think they're going to sign him. I think they've realized in the past season that if they made a big move last, maybe not necessarily last year, but if they make a big move, if they had made a big move in the last couple of years, they would have won. I think they're close enough to win where one big move is going to put them over the hump. It seems very similar to the 08 offseason where they brought in Sabathia and Burnett and Teixeira were, well, a little different in that those were three pieces, but I feel like they're one piece away. They bring in that one piece, and I think they're going to be the favorites to win it all. Dude nailed it. Yeah, I uh, definitely, definitely believe so. And, uh, I'll just say, like, about it, though, like, Yankee fans who were acting like, oh, we're not going to get it, like, that's a, they, they knew. Even the ones who thought they weren't going to get him, they knew they were going to get him. I mean, come on, right? Like, we knew that this guy is going to end. Like, Cashman had to. Like, like, like he just said in that clip, he knew they were one piece away, one guy away, and this was their guy. 
Yeah, this this was their guy, and I mean, they got it right. And speaking of somebody else who got it right, you had a very good prediction this year. Not quite as <laughs> hot as the Garrett Cole one, but let's go to your prediction from our opening day preview where you call predictions on the division winners. And you had this to say about one specific team, the Minnesota Twins. For that second yeah. wild card spot, yes. right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, so I, I'm i sticking with the Twins. I'm buying in. Um, I think that's one of those, um, you know, it's like a really top-heavy division. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be able to go out and beat, like, the White Soxes of the world and so on. And Cleveland is really beatable, too. Like, like when I say second wild card, like, they're going to be fighting for that division. Yeah. I could see Cleveland even falling into that second wild card. Good job. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. I, I try. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, I uh, – yeah, I was really big on the Twinkies, and uh, I didn't think they're going to be as dominant as they were. I mean, I'm not going to act like I knew it all, but uh, yeah, I was feeling the feeling the Twins, and they they pulled through for me. And Cleveland actually just flat out missed it all, right? They didn't even make the wild card, right? Yeah, yeah, they missed the playoffs entirely. The Rays and entirely, the uh, A's yeah. were, the, were the wild card teams. Yeah, yeah, gosh. Yeah, so good call by you there. And let's go to our team for a couple of minutes. Let's go to the Mets because the Mets had some interesting stuff going on of late. They hired a new manager, and they hired Carlos Beltran to be the skipper. I actually talked to Dan Federico on the podcast. I think talk about the Yankees ALCS, and this was back when Beltran was just a rubric candidate. He had some interesting takes on Beltran. So let's hear from Dan Federico on Carlos Beltran. Yeah, I mean, someone like you said, like Beltran, I mean, he is – well respected around baseball. He interviewed for the Yankees job when Aaron Boone got it. He works for the Yankees right now. He's definitely one of those guys who's like an up-and-comer hot name. And, you know, unlike somebody like a Mickey Calloway who, who was an unknown, I know Beltran, yes, technically as a manager, he's an unknown. But I think he's got that pedigree with the players. Uh, he, he's well respected by everybody, players, coaches, front office. So, I, I mean, he'd be a great fit. I, I love the Girardi fit for the Mets. You know, Showalter, too. I, I'm really interested to see which way they go. Yeah, I'm interested to see which way they went, too. I mean, Beltran worked out, is here. We'll see if it works out. But I feel like he nailed the particulars of, like, what they respected for Beltran. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like – and like, he nailed it with the Callaway comp. Like, you know, I think some Mets fans are a little uh, on the fence about it, um, seeing, like, a you know, a really – no, I won't say a legend, but a really good player who played for the team go and manage. Um, but no, I think uh, he's definitely. For once, I actually do think the Mets got got it. You know, got it right as of right now. So I'm not too, I'm not as worried as I was for Callaway. I, I do wish we got Girardi though. But honestly, I'm not. I'm not a. Uh, I'm not too angry. Yeah, that's true. The manager they got right, but they still have not gotten the idea of spending enough money right, and that might be solved in the future with Stevie Cohen and his Cohen money coming in to save the day. But for now, the ownership is not spending enough. I actually had Tim Britton from The Athletic on the podcast back in late November talking about the Mets, and he made this point about what he would do if he was in charge of the Mets offseason. So let's hear from Tim Britton next. I think the first thing you look at, I mean, I've marched into the, the ownership's office and explained why it's necessary to go over the luxury tax. Because this is, you're in a position where you're right there on the fringe of playoff contention. There's a lot of money that's coming off the payroll after 2020 with Joanna Suspedes, with David Wright, who's still on the luxury tax payroll, with Wilson Ramos and Marcus Stroman and Justin Wilson, there's opportunities to, to make a signing this year that might put you over the luxury tax for one year, but you get back under next year and beyond. So I would I would be aggressive that way. They have not been aggressive that way so far. They are playing like 
basically all sorts of games to stay under the luxury tax. I mean, now we're talking about trading off, like, potentially Dominic Smith as we're recording early, I think in, I want to say mid-December, and not good. No, and it's just, uh, it just speaks volumes as how kind of inept they've been that they're this close to the luxury tax, and this team is not, you know, the Dodgers, the Yankees. And, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating to me. And also, I mean, you nailed on the head, Britain, how, like, they're going right back under. And when you're like a first-time offender of that luxury tax, you know, penalty, it's nothing, especially for that first threshold. I just, it's fascinating. It's something that, thankfully, we probably won't have to worry about much longer if things break our way. But, yeah, I mean, just Porcello, Waka, and not doing anything with the bullpen. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that they've done, and it hasn't really done much. <laughs> Yeah, they have not done too much, but we'll get to them down the road. We'll go back to one more baseball clip. Uh, I want to give a little spot here to Rick Cerrone, the great editor of Baseball Digest, who's been on this podcast twice, and he talked about the playoffs this year. While we're talking about the playoff preview, he did go in down memory lanes, he likes to do, and he had a great story about the one of the more iconic plays of the 2000s Yankee dynasty, the Derek Jeter flip. Let's hear Rick Cerrone's story about that. But um, yeah, that Jeter game, you know, going out there down two and two and two games to none and watching play. I think the funniest thing about that is when you know we ultimately, you know, the next year or whatever, got Jason Giambi, you know, Jeremy's brother. Jeremy was the runner, and you know, Jason shows up at spring training and asks, like, when do we practice that play from the playoff game? <laughs> Because Jeter said, oh, we practiced that in spring training, which was kind of crazy. But anyway. I think that's hilarious, by the way. Oh, no, it's classic. And yeah. I just I, I wish we had uh, more Jason Giambi stories. I'd love to hear uh, some more Cerrone war stories as well. But, uh, yeah, definitely anytime you can get insight on, you know, an iconic franchise and such an iconic team like or play like that, I mean, it, it, that's that's good stuff. <laughs> program he's just got crazy war stories yes he does and i recommend anybody who is looking to major like get a master's in sports communication come to iona just take rick Cerrone's class you will never get as many great stories as you get out of it <laughs> no never all right let's go on to another sport so where would you like to head next uh the jetties are on tonight so let's go you got any football i do have some well, actually do have some jets as well so we'll start right <laughs> there and I have some complaints about the Jets. We'll air some grievances since it's the holiday special, but we'll start with one of my complaints about Adam Gase. I think this is right after the trade deadline fiasco where they were shopping Le'Veon Bell or shopping Jamal Adams, and they're probably going to do it again in the offseason. He's going to infuriate me to no end. So let me just air some frustration about the Adam Gase era here. Losing coaches are losing coaches. They have demonstrated that they're not good. The Jets had it right there for them. They had a Super Bowl-winning head coach who developed a quarterback into a superstar. He was a free agent. He wanted to go to them. But they said, what do the fans know? We got this. We'll hire Adam Gase. He's going to prove us to be geniuses. He's making you look like morons. I can't disagree with his assessment a couple of weeks after the fact. He's still making them look like morons. Yeah, he's just... He is what we knew what he, you know, we knew what he was. Just mired in inconsistencies. One week he looks good, the next week you wonder what the heck he's doing and just he's so obviously not the guy for this job and it's just 
kind of upsetting, especially the fact you just mentioned, like, what, are you going to trade everybody because you don't like them? <laughs> Come on. Yeah, and it's all—it's never his fault. It's always somebody else's fault. It's like, oh, Le'Veon Bell can't play in my system. That's that's garbage. And uh, he, like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I'm pretty sure it, it's not like a you know an edge rusher or like a safety or it's a running back, an all pro running back. The man literally just needs to put the ball in his hand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, think that to the game. This game he sat out against Miami. I mean. Adam Gase is basically making a point. He's like, look, I'll run the ball. I just can't do it with Le'Veon. I'm like, really? Come on. Oh, that was that was shades of uh, when he did it to JHI. Like, yeah. what was that? Three years ago now. I mean, just, yeah. it, it, it's just it's psychotic, honestly. Yeah, the reason he's here is because of the brilliant owner Christopher Johnson, who, with the Stevie Cohen purchase of the Mets, is going to start sliding down those owner power rankings. I have. He's going to be down there with James Dolan towards the bottom of the list, and. I had a big issue with Christopher Johnson's decision to announce after they got their second win of the year that Adam Gase is coming back for 2020. Let's go to my take on that. I'll get more Jeff frustration out. They stink the most the first half of this season. Everybody make excuses for him, and then the second they get a win, and they barely beat the Giants last week. He's sprinting to the podium, Christopher Johnson says, you know what, he's coming back. And to me, it's just like, you have no guts to do it after they won a game because you don't know when the next win's coming. You're running to the podium and make this point. That bothers me to no end because I'm like, you know what? Have some stones. Do it in the middle of a losing, losing streak. Say, you know what? Like, I picked the right guy. I have faith in him. Doing this is just no confidence. This is just, like, gutless by Christopher Johnson. And he's been a horrendous owner who gets thrown no attention because of the ineptitude of James Dole. I think I think that still stands pretty well today because we, uh, we are recording on – December 12th. We have still not heard from Christopher Johnson since that press conference. Yeah, and I think the Giants, like, obviously the Giants get more play in New York, and them being literally just bad, as bad or worse, and their ownership not doing too well. He, Johnson just always seems to kind of, like, sneak by, right? And uh, I just, I really feel like nobody cares, and people have such low expectations for the Jets that it just doesn't matter to them. Like, I really think that's what it is, and it's it's really sad. It is really sad, and it's making me too sad. Let's move somewhere else. Let's go to, actually, the Giants for a minute, because the Giants have their own problems. They are on their way probably to a coaching change, probably, possibly a new GM. I don't think they go that far, though. I could see the Dave Gelman-Ron Rivera reunion in in the, in the uh, winter here. But I back in April, they drafted Daniel Jones at the sixth pick in the draft. There was not much happiness from the Giant fans about that pick. I had Matt Verderan from Fansite on after the draft to discuss the Daniel Jones thing. And here's his take on Daniel Jones at the time. Nobody thought Daniel Jones. Nobody thought he was a top 10 pick, even a top 20 pick. I was at the Senior Bowl, uh, sat with a scout throughout a couple of the practices, and scout was honest and said, look, I, there's no way that kid's a day one pick. There's just no way. He's not talented enough. And then, of course, Jones goes sick. So I think the Giants locked onto their guy. They convinced themselves that he was the right player. And that's a very, very dangerous thing to do in the draft, especially one where they could have had Ed Oliver or Josh Allen, two players they desperately need to rebuild that defense. And they go with Jones, who I don't think was even one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the draft. What do you think about Daniel Jones this far in? you think that Matt Stout was on to anything? I mean, yeah, I, I, I do think Jones got a really – and I, I was one of them too, but I think he got just got killed because he played in the ACC and all that. But I think he's been good. He, you know, he turns 
the ball over a little bit too much as far as fumbling goes. But I mean, he's made the right reads. He's done what he, you know, he's done what he's done with a pretty poor team around him. Um, I feel like six is still a reach, obviously, given the fact that you know Josh Allen seems to be a beast um, as an edge rusher. So, I, I, you know, I try to give him the benefit of the doubt. So I'm probably giving him an easy, an easy way out here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the Josh Allen thing probably won't burn them because they'll get Chase Young this year in the draft and they'll be worth it that way. But you you, you hope you're a Giant fan they got it right because otherwise you're wasting a lot of time here. Absolutely. And uh, we know a lot about draft flops, but um, it, it feels like even when the Giants don't get it right, like you said, like they're just going to draft an even better player this year and get away with it. Where the Jets, you know, <laughs> that's never the case. Yeah, the Jets just draft guys from Alabama who can't play, which no one else seems to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or they just draft uh, Stephen Hill from Georgia Tech, you know, the best wide receiver that never was, apparently. <laughs> yeah, let's not get off track about the Jets' <laughs> terrible drafting. Let's get back to some of the big headlines in football this year. i got a couple more football clips I want to get to. The big storyline of the year was the whole fiasco in the NFC title game with the pass interference call that cost the Saints trip to the Super Bowl. And right after that happened, I had Mark Belusis from – uh, CBS Sports Radio on the podcast to talk about the championship games, and that was obviously the big headline from it. So, let's hear from Moose next about the pass interference rule and what might have happened as a result of this horrible non-call in New Orleans. Yeah, you know what, Mike? I, I think there's got to be something put in place in the offseason where they review defensive pass interference, where the maybe uh, you know maybe the head coaches have a challenge or two over the course of the game as well. Um, something of that nature to prevent what happened on Sunday. You, you can't have that hanging over the National Football League for the last uh, you know, 72 hours since that game was played where that's all anybody is really talking about. It's not really a Goff or, or really McVeigh in, in the Los Angeles Rams comeback performance. It's really more so about what happened, what went wrong, how did they blow that call, and all the apologies in the world is going to put these teams to give them an opportunity to put them in that scenario. It might be the last opportunity Drew Brees plays in an NFC championship game. It might be the last time that he does. You know, he's 40 years of age. He's going to be 41 next year. You know, he's, and clearly he showed with his arm strength this year that, um, you know, the age has caught up to him a little bit. But, you know, I think there's going to be some sort of advancement of the replay system to make a long story short in the offseason, Mike. And I think they have to and they have to prevent at all costs what transpired on the, you know, on Sunday. I think there's two other things to pick away from what Moose had to say. Number one, the pass interference rule change did happen, and the refs ignored it for about half the season before they actually finally started to overturn things. The other is the Drew Brees angle where there are questions about the Saints right now about whether or not they are going to get to the Super Bowl. But which one do you think is more interesting of the two things he pointed out? Uh, definitely the pass interference. I mean, the Saints and <laughs> the product on the field is, you know, what it, it is what it is. It does look like they'll at least be in a you know, position to play for a Super Bowl in an NFC Championship game again. But, um, uh, yeah, it's like the pass interference, you know, I think the knee-jerk reaction was that we absolutely needed to have it. And like you mentioned, just they haven't even overturned much. Now they're getting to do it more. But it just, it's, it's just such – to me, it's a waste. I'll be honest. I, I, I just think it's dumb. Um, it was just a fluky thing that unfortunately really cost the legendary player a chance at another Super Bowl. That's really what I chalk it up to. As much as I want to, you know, go get my pitchforks and call for heads. <laughs> yeah, that's true, and that's been a storyline that's hovering over the league this year. The other one that sort of took the whole sports world by storm was an Andrew Luck retired 
in August, right before the season started. And I have a friend on the podcast, Dan Martini, who's usually our golf correspondent, but he's a big Colts fan. After the Luck situation, after he retired, I got him on, I think, the week that happened, and he had some thoughts on Luck's legacy. Let's hear what Dan had to say about the Andrew Luck legacy. This is a guy who you know, deserved a Super Bowl, or at least a chance to win a Super Bowl, and, and the organization failed him, and the structure around him failed him. There were good players that came through here. You know, he had plenty of years with Reggie, and he had plenty of years with T.Y. Hilton, and, and, you know, there was, you know, decent players um, on the defense during those years, but he, they just could not get it together, and, and the coaching and, and the organization itself failed him. So his legacy will be a guy that was – you know, you'll look at him and say, if you're thinking of the prototypical quarterback in the modern NFL, you want Andrew Luck as your guy. Uh, and hopefully your organization puts some better players and a better structure around him. Yeah, I think the thing that sticks out to me about that clip right there is the idea that the Colts organization failed him. Do you agree with that assessment? Um, yeah, no, definitely. They definitely didn't like help him enough. I mean, and we're kind of seeing it right with the Jets. Um, where it's like you got a guy, you believe in a guy, why are you not doing whatever you can to just, you know, make sure that he is that guy? And it took them literally until last year to, like, actually – and that team's still at holes last year. But, you know, to actually put an offensive line around him, go and get some weapons for him to throw to. And, uh, you know, I can't blame the guy. He kind of got his butt kicked and, you know, constantly had to work with not much and – you know, at the end of the day, as a Colts fan, you're probably pretty ticked off. You're retired, but you know what can you do? It took until last year, man, to get some some offensive line and everything out there for him. Yeah, organizational negligence a big problem there in Indianapolis with the Andrew Luck situation. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it. You just hope for like anybody who they think has a franchise quarterback. You hope that that's just not what you do. Yeah, you hope it's not what you do. Speaking of teams with franchise quarterbacks who. The shine's come off this year, a couple of guys. Jared Goff being one of them. Shine's come off oh, yeah. Sean McVay a little bit, too, because remember last uh, offseason when everyone was hiring the Sean McVay bros as head coaches? Yes. Yeah. Joe and I, Joe D and I discussed that on the podcast, I think, when he did the NFL draft preview with me. So here's our take on what we should do to join the Sean McVay fraternity. How this man got a job in the National Football League when he was a losing head coach at Texas Tech just because he's friends with Sean McVay does not mean he's qualified to be an NFL coach. He could not win in the Big 12 where all your job is just to outscore everybody. I mean, that's the standard now. If you know McVay, if you've spoken to McVay, if you've touched McVay, you now have a good shot of becoming a head coach in the NFL. So we need to go, we need to go shake McVay's hands that we can become head coaches. I think there's hope. Yeah. That's a good chance. I mean, that's a brilliant idea for me, actually. Yeah, let's go. After this podcast, we'll go fly out to L.A., go find Sean McVay, and go hang out with him for 24 he hours. Maybe a little busy, but... Yeah. I'm willing to take that chance. Well, we didn't make it out to L.A., but maybe it was a blessing in disguise because that has not worked out so well for the McVay bros this year. No, it hasn't. And uh, I just I, – I kind of relish in the fact that, that Jared, Jared Goff has kind of been not bad, but not what he was just because I didn't – I don't know. I never, I was never on board paying him that money after one year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, what, Cincinnati's head coach was a, was a disciple of McVay. They're pretty terrible. LaFleur was one, too, right, in Green Bay, and he's kind of had, you know, he's struggled with what he's been given. So, hey, you know, and Kingsbury is whatever, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, not a good run there for the McVay bros, but we'll move on to another sport here. Speaking of a coach that is gone now, Dave Fisdale got fired by the Knicks a couple of weeks back, and 
I got to speak to John Schmelk, the host of the Bank Shot podcast before the next season began, and he had some concerns about Fizdale. Let's hear from Schmelk about Fizdale. I don't know that yet. I think this year will tell you a lot and how he manages these lineups and how he mixes and matches these players. My thing with Fizdale so far is he doesn't seem to know how to balance a lineup with defense, shooting, and playmaking. You need those three things in every lineup. You have to prioritize all three, figure out how to get all three on the floor, and I don't think he does a very good job of doing that. I think I pretty much summed up why Fizdale got fired. Yeah, but I also I also go to bat for a little bit. I just think I what a terrible job, right? I mean, he shouldn't know what he was getting into, but just terrible all around. Terrible players, terrible ownership, terrible coaching. So yeah, all of that together. Sorry, man. Gotta gotta <laughs> gotta let you go. Yeah, and the message I think every Nick fan would like to see James Dolan fire Steve Mills at the at the end of the season because. The man has been such a disaster as an executive. I think he has like a record of like 170 and like three 380 or something like that, which is absurd in the NBA. In fact, they have not made the playoffs once this season. The head basketball guy—that's really bad. Terrible, terrible, and they're they're just terrible. So, <laughs> yeah, they are just terrible. Speaking of terrible things, let's go to our one hockey clip here. This is one I used on our 50th episode. This is, I think, one of the finest rants ever on this podcast. Our friend Pete Considori absolutely tearing to shreds the Columbus Blue Jackets for their trade deadline strategy. Columbus Blue Jacket fans, if I were you, I would be terrified. (laughs) And the reason why I say this is because your GM did nothing with Panarin and nothing with Bobrovsky. Now, yes, he did get Duchesne, amazing player. He did get Dezingle, amazing player. He got experience on the blue line with a little bit of grit in Adam McQuaid. He got a backup goaltender that has shown he can play starting minutes in Keith Kincaid. But what happens if you don't win this year? You lose Panarin, you lose Bobrovsky, unless by some miracle Panarin goes, hey, I'm going to stay. But guess what? Duchesne's contract is up. I think Dezingle's contract is up also. He's going to be a free agent. Those two rentals... What do you what, what exactly is going through the mind of this GM? Is he trying to show Columbus, hey, we're going to try to win this year? But does he see who's in the East? Does he see who's in the East? You have the Toronto Maple Leafs. You have the Tampa Bay Lightning. You have the Boston Bruins. Let's go to your division. You have the Washington Capitals. You have the Pittsburgh Penguins. You have the New York Islanders who have been on fire lately. You have the Carolina Hurricanes who, eh, you could beat. Where are you going? You're not you're not <laughs> winning the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. You're not winning the Stanley Cup. Pete got so fired up for that team, and boy, he was correct on pretty much everything there. I, I just think the funny part is he said that they could beat Carolina and couldn't beat Tampa. They beat Tampa, and Carolina goes and has a hell of a run in the postseason. Just thought it was funny, but yeah, I mean, hey, at least Brett Panarin's on the Rangers now, and uh, I'm happy about that. Yes, Panarin's <laughs> been pretty good for the Rangers, but... I mean, the Blue Jackets, everybody left. They got a long way to go. Oh, very much so. Very much so. I hope that one-round win was worth it. Yeah, I mean, I guess out there they'll be talking about that when they took down the the big, bad Tampa Bay Lightning for years to come, right? (laughs) Yes, they will. Speaking of our friend Pete, he's the only person, I think, here to make the clip show twice because he had an interesting appearance on our Stranger Things coverage over the summer. We talked about Stranger Things Season 3. He had a fun point to make about 
the how New Coke was basically given a free ad in an episode of Stranger Things. Let's hear from Pete on that. I feel like the way of the future with like YouTube ads and stuff like that, they're just going to put it inside the videos from now on. Like Stranger Things, Netflix doesn't have ads in between the commercials, right? Uh, it, between nope. the shows. Yeah. Um, Hulu has this thing where if you don't pay the premium price, there is commercials because it's more TV shows yeah. and they need to make money sometimes too. But but they literally had a 30-second spot in Stranger Things about new Coke. It's hysterical. I was laughing and my girlfriend <laughs> couldn't get it. I'm like, they literally just did a Coca-Cola ad right in front of you and you didn't even think about it. Um, and, you know, and product pay- placement is not new, right? They've yeah. been doing that in movies and yeah. TV shows for a very long time. I've never seen it done that blatantly where it's not a joke. I remember when I saw this on Stranger Things, I was just laughing so hard. Yeah, I, I, I love how I said Pete gave him the benefit of that. Where it's like, it wasn't a joke. I mean, it probably was, you know, playing on how he even said his girlfriend didn't realize it. I mean, that's kind of kind of funny, right? Like, here you are consuming this show, and you don't even know that you're consuming uh, product placement advertising. <laughs> yeah, they snuck that one in there pretty well. This is funny, but yeah, he's probably not wrong either. We're going to see that as time goes on. <laughs> yeah, we will see that as well. Another pop culture has been a fun like side component of this podcast. We do mostly sports, and we do get into the pop culture stuff as well. And I wanted to give a shout-out to our pop culture correspondent, Sandra Rosa. She's been a big part of our pop culture coverage. That really sort of originated in our Super Bowl special where she came out to talk about the halftime show and the commercials. And let's talk, take a look at our reaction to the one of the worst Super Bowl commercials in recent memory, the Mint Mobile ad. Wireless for 20 bucks a month. <laughs> that's not right. It's right, all right. Now, Chunky Style Milk, that's not right. I choose Chunky Style Milk because it has the wholesome chunks growing kids need, unlike Smooth Style Milk. Hey, guys. Save some chunks for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not right. That just sounds up. That's just not right. <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. Like, I like just hearing it. It's probably more okay than watching it. But, like, that was that was gross. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's so bad. Because, I mean, you're at a Super Bowl party or, like, you are like you are, you're at work and, like, everybody's eating food and you see somebody yeah. just drinking curdled <laughs> yeah. milk. I'm like, yeah. ugh. And, but, see, you remembered it. Yeah. And that's what they did their job, I guess. Yeah, but, like, the only remembers what it was for. Everybody remembers the commercial where they just drank curdled milk. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean. I mean, I cut the end of, the, of that commercial. I didn't give, I didn't give them the credit for having such a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that commercial was something. It was disgusting. And I, I just just even listening to the commercial, like, it's, oh, my God, it was so disgusting. Nobody ever, like, wants to see that. <laughs> I mean, hey, whatever. The other 15 seconds of fame is over with. Because I don't even, what company was that? I, I don't even. Mid-Mobile. I don't even, what is? Uh, what, I, I don't I mean, even know what yeah. they. I don't even know what they do. I know. <laughs> yeah, like okay, cool. <laughs> you guys had a pretty cool commercial, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I chose that one because I wanted to switch it up. I, I mean, on the fiftieth episode, we had a clip of Santa talking about how she watched Quiet Place on an airplane, so she is definitely a character. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. She's always got something, some story that you're like, what the hell. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of what the hell moments, I think that happened on the Avengers podcast. She was on that one, but a star was born that day when John Stanko made his podcast debut. People forget you were there too. Oh, as a as a passenger primarily. Yeah, because Stanko <laughs> sort of took 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 the wheel when he got on to talk about the Avengers <laughs> Endgame, including our final clip of the day, his reaction to one of his least favorite characters in this movie. 
Like, I don't like Nebula. Yeah, I mean, yeah, hey, yeah. I, I don't. The fulcrum of the emotional turn of this movie revolves around a character who's the least and more character in, Mar- in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you looked at a movie poster and said, which character is yeah. going to be most important in turning the tide of this yeah. movie and bidding it? Bringing it to his final third act, it's going to be Nebula. I was surprised. I was furious. Well, because yeah. I, I was too. She seems so inconsequential in Guardians too. Where it's she like, is inconsequential. She, <laughs> yeah, she, you could take her out of the movies, take her out of any movie except yeah. for this one, and it doesn't affect the movie. No, I was I'm surprised. Sorry. They. Yeah, I mean, he just took off, man, with this podcast. I mean, he's like just on fire there. Yeah, <laughs> he's a big movie guy, big movie buff. So you gotta like. It's like watching a, you know, Kyrie Irving go into an isolation on offense or something. You just sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had of all the people I've had on this podcast, I mean, he gets the most requests of people to bring him back on. I always get asked, like, when is Stanko coming back? He's a pe- he's a man of the people. What what, what can we say? <laughs> yeah, he is a man of the people, and uh, you guys have been enjoying some more of him of late. I mean, we did a Watchmen finale podcast. We did a Star Wars podcast, and coming next week, we are going to have a special year-end pop culture episode with him and Sam DeRosa, and boy, that's going to be a treat. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I just love – there are points in this one. I feel like I'm just going to sit back, let the two of them just go. It's going to be so much fun. Oh, of course. Yeah, just let it fly. <laughs> <laughs> Got to let it fly. Well, thanks for letting it fly today on this little trip down memory lane for the year. Before I let you go, do all everybody know how, how to follow you on social media and some of the stuff you are up to? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter at, at Will Schneider H1. Um, actually finished up my internship with the Nets. Going to be back with the Nets, uh, doing some fan-sided stuff. So, yeah, we're we're rolling right now. And, uh, yeah, just catch me on there if you, if you like. Yeah, you can catch Will on there. Will, thanks again. I really appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, Mike. All right, up next, NFL picks. Showing the money for Week 17. That's right. The final week of the regular season, we're going to do some picks. That's coming up right after this. Show me the money. All right, we are back on the holiday special edition of the Showing the Money of the Just End the Suffering podcast. Showing the Money NFL picks for Week 17. This is the holiday special. I got a double dose of guests here on the line with me, actually through FaceTime, through my new setup. I got Sean Rowe and Tom, and Tom Bikino from the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. Fellas, how are you? What's going on, man? All right, Sean, I'll start with you. How's life been? I haven't talked to you since February. Uh, it's been good, bro. It's been good. Um, no complaints. Everything's fine. Yourself? Everything's doing pretty good. I'm happy to see you. Let's talk to Tom, actually, on the podcast back in, I think, April. We talked NBA playoffs. That was a long time ago, Tom. That was a long time ago. I'm just wondering if I have to look at Sean's face on the FaceTime the whole time. He's kind of making you do. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to look at yours, too. So. <laughs> well, that's a treat, dog. That's yeah. a treat. No, it's not a treat <clears throat> for anyone at any time, mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, I'll, I'll put myself, my face in the FaceTime for you guys. You can see what I'm looking at, too, so. But wow. big Mets fan there, big Mets fan. Yeah, sorry, sorry to hear. Yeah, yeah. So we're not talking so. about the we're not talking about the Mets today. Though. We'll talk some picks today. So I want as I start for the new guys on these pick segments. I'll start with what teams you're a fan of. So Sean, who are you a fan of? Uh, New York Yankees, New York Giants, Brooklyn Nets, UConn basketball, Alabama football. 
All right, let's. let's oh, no, football. Tom doesn't want to hear about my broadness, which isn't broadness, and a hundred percent. That's it. Um, let's just talk uh, football, though. Sports, I guess. Yeah, he he claims he's the sports feelings are, uh, so he can dictate people's right. fandoms and no, that's right that's an appointed that's an appointed position, teams. my friend. That's an appointed position. I am the sports feelings are. All I right, voted that. All right, so Sean, how'd you become a Giant fan? By whom? Uh, just watching a lot of football growing up. My dad, my dad was a Jet fan, but we watched both teams. And um, one of the first games I ever watched, like start to finish, that I remember watching was the 2000 NFC Championship game against the Vikings, where the Giants won 56 nothing. So that was kind of like, okay, I don't mind watching this team, and uh, kind of just stuck with them. Nice, uh, Tom. You're you're not a Giant fan, correct? I'm not, sir. Unfortunately, I'm a Jets fan. Um, like myself. Yes, sir. Uh, it sucks for us, but <laughs> pretty much became a Jets fan. I was I was always a football fan, but I didn't really have a team. And I became a Jets fan right around when the Giants won their first Super Bowl. And I was just like, I don't want to be a bandwagon front-running fraud Alabama fan. So I'll just root for the Jets just because Why not? You know, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to pick the winning team right away. So, yeah, you know. he'd rather be a loser, so he's fine. Yeah, like, right, right, right. I like what happened with your cousin with the hockey team, how he picked the Sabres so he didn't want to hop on the Ranger bandwagon. Will's just a lifetime loser. That's fine. We'll move on past <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, we shouted Will out. Shout out to Will. Love you, bud. Love you, bud. You actually shot him at the top of the podcast. I was recording the beginning of this podcast at Dan Martini. We're watching some football on Sunday. We're watching the Cowboys-Eagles game, and that did not end up well for him. <laughs> Well, apparently he's not. I, I did a PSA on our podcast recording of him. Apparently he's not watching um, football any longer, um, professional football, that is, until Jason Garrett gets fired and hired by the Giants. Well, I that might claim by him. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, when I talk about the Cowboys, right? let's go to the local games for week 16. What do you guys think of the Jet game? Um, I was happy with the first half. I saw a lot of good throws from Sam Darnold, anemic offense in the second half. Um, and pretty much, obviously, Jamal Adams is a beast, but everything that it said to me was that they have to do a lot of work on the offensive line this offseason. Um, I think that should be their primary and their only focus. Hold on to the weapons that they have, but just really focus on that offensive line. Sean, any thoughts on the Jet game? Uh, it wasn't the easiest of games to watch. Uh, the Pittsburgh quarterbacks were just god-awful, partially, well, that because too. Of the Jets, partially because of the Jet defense and also partially because it's Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. So, uh, I mean, Tomlin, if he had it his way, would play the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger before playing either of those guys. But he had to start. He had to play two of them, and uh, they just couldn't generate any offense against the Jets defense. And Darnold made enough plays to win. I was just watching the game, trying to figure out who sucked more, and it was actually really it was a hard game to watch. I mean, it was, yeah. it, it was played pretty poorly on both by both teams. Yeah, brutal game to watch. Jets did win. Giants also won. The first time this year, both teams won the same day. I'm not, I'm not surprised. surprised. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Yeah, so Sean, yeah, no. you're the Giant guy, Sean. Tell me your takeaway from that game. I mean, it was the Daniel Jones-Saquon Barkley show. Like, it was Jones, a good show by the two of them. Five touchdowns, no picks. Um, Barkley had a deep receiving touchdown, a huge running touchdown. He was the best he's looked since, like, week two. And um, Jones is the first rookie quarterback ever to have at least three games of four touchdowns and no picks in the season. So you, 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 you walk good. out of that, 
you walk out of that game feeling like, yeah, I mean, did they screw themselves over by probably losing out on the Chase Young sweepstakes? Yes, but you can feel really good about who you hope to be your franchise quarterback going forward, and I think that does mean a lot. So, hey, I... the, the defense is terrible, and Shermer's probably almost certainly gone. So that's you know, aside from the quarterback and the running back, there's really not much else to pay attention to because a lot of those, a lot of those guys won't be there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, at least the at least you have positives out the quarterback there. That's that's always good. Oh yeah, no, I mean he's had a really good year. I mean he's had some rough times at moments, like all rookie quarterbacks do. But um, overall, I mean you don't watch him and say, yeah, this is a guy that can't play great. And he's had some really good games this year. And as a Giant fan, it's like, okay, yeah, I think we have our guy. So you obviously have to feel good about that, even if it's against the Redskins. Yeah, Tom, any thoughts on the Giants before we move on? Um, not really any thoughts on the Giants. I thought Jones obviously showed a lot and it should give Giants fans a lot to look forward to. Just more that for two teams that are very, very far out of the playoffs, it was one of the more interesting and fun games to watch over the past weekend because there were some really, really bad games. And not having a dog in the fight, it was still a really fun game to watch. And obviously, my boy Shaquan, Shaky, whatever you want to call him. Was, that's what you call just, him. Nobody else calls that's, him. That's what I call him. I'm the sports czar. I'm the CEO, so I can call him what I want. Uh, welcome on the pod anytime. Welcome on Mike's pod anytime as well. Um, yeah. yeah, Saquon wants to come he's, on. He's more than welcome. He's an animal. He he's a different he's a different type out there, and he's just great. Yeah, there are very few people who have the money in the bank pass to show up wherever they want. Saquon Barkley's one of them. Well, there you go. Open invite, buddy. Open invite anytime, Shaky. Yep. All right. Let's go to the Week 17 games. Start with. We'll get the Jets out of the way. The Jet Bill game means nothing for the Bills. The Jets will see. I think it'll be interesting to see how much they show up in this game. Well, I don't know who's playing quarterback for the Bills. I, I don't know what starters are playing, but uh, again, this has been kind of my my marching orders and whatnot since since Sam Darnold got mono. And unfortunately, um, I'm still looking into that case. I'm, I've been going up and down high schools on the East Coast to find out who he got with, um, but. Nonetheless, he's, he's trying uh, to get some numbers, is what he's saying. Oh yeah, true, true. Yeah, you know, you never know. But <laughs> the marching orders um, for me have just been: I just want to see some continuity, and I just want to see some. I just want to see Darnold be a decent quarterback in the NFL. That's all I ask. In the first half last week, he was. Second half pretty anemic on both sides. I mean, the punters. I saw more of them than I really need to see ever. Um, but again, that's really all I want to see out of the Jets is Sam Darnold grow as a quarterback. That's it. All right, Sean, Giant game. They actually have a chance to play spoiler here. They can possibly knock the Eagles out of the NFC East. You hoping that happens? Yeah, I mean, I figure at this point, you know, you're not going to draft number two overall now. So, again, I don't feel any differently than I did last week in a perfect situation. You, you play Jones plays great and they lose, but you never feel bad if you knock out the Eagles. Um, the Eagles have done that to the Giants plenty of times. So if you do that, but I hate both the Cowboys and the Eagles, and one of them is going to win this division. So it does. I'm not, you know, I wouldn't be upset if they won. I wouldn't be upset if they lost. It's just, again, I look for Jones to finish off the season strong, have another really good game. And, and uh, you know, if they play spoiler, then, then, you know, so be it. All right, let's get to the reason you guys are here. We're going to do some picks today, NFL picks. We're recording on Monday the 23rd. They're kind of basically going off the opening lines. With the holidays, they kind of need to get this in here. So Alex, Alex Fasano was here last week for Team Challengers. He went 3-0 and on the week. He had 
the Ravens minus 10 in Cleveland against the Browns. They won that in a runaway. He had the Dolphins getting a point against the Bengals at home. They won that one in overtime. He also had the Cardinals getting nine and a half in Seattle. He had a was big on that game. They see Cardinals won that game running away. So three and zero for Faz on the week. Congrats to um, him. Yeah, yeah. What's his name? Better, Faz? did better, did better with our with his picks than you know Tom and I did with ours. Yeah. Oh, well, we're not going to talk about that. We're moving on to next week. We've already turned the page, Sean. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, on the week seventeen. On the week 17, I don't remember if my sperm bank pick of the week hit or not. Oh, no, I didn't because I picked Dallas. But that was a win-win for me because the Cowboys losing and putting Will in a worse position always makes me happy. All right. I went 3-0 and also last week. I went 3-0 and also last week. I had the Saints laying 2.5 in nice Tennessee. humble brag. I like that. I yeah. like that humble brag. Yeah, 3-0 and for the week. Saints two, laying 2.5 two in Tennessee against the Titans. That one worked out for me. I had the Chiefs laying the 6 on Sunday Night Football against the Bears. That one was run away. I also had the Raiders getting six and a half against the Chargers because I hate picking the Chargers. I knew that we're going to blow, blow that game. That's exactly what happened. So, not, like a perfect six and zero for the two of us last week on the on the podcast. Well Good stuff. Done. Let's see if we can keep it up. Absolutely. Yeah. So on the year of the challenger, twenty three, twenty four, and one. So you guys can put them over five hundred if you guys can win this week. I'm twenty eight. Oh I'm twenty eight and twenty on the year. So I decided to make this interesting. So if it was just the normal three picks a week, I would have automatically won the the year already. But Two of you are here. You're each going to make three picks. I'll make six picks So to, get, to keep the numbers even. So how this is going to work is I will give each of you the floor to do your three picks. Just list them out, brief reasons why. After after Sean goes, we'll comment on each other, on his picks. After Tom goes, we'll comment on his picks. Then we'll do mine. And then I'll, we'll just comment on all that. So that sound good, guys? Sounds great. All right. So you're going to be on the clock first, Sean. So where are you going with your three picks? Uh, I am going with the two locals first, so I'm going to take the New York Giants uh, at home against the Philadelphia Eagles to cover that spread. Uh, I'm going to go to Buffalo, and I'm going to take the Buffalo Bills in that game. And then to finish off on Sunday Night Football, I'm going to take the Seattle Seahawks uh, to cover at home to finish off their regular season and see uh, what seeding is what in the NFC playoff picture. So what are those numbers again for those three games? Uh, we are looking at the Giants right now uh, for the 4.5 game. They're plus four and a half. I'll happily take that. I mean, the Eagles are not great. They beat Dallas, and Dallas didn't show up. Um, for the Jets, they're, the Bills are a minus one, again, because who knows who the Bills are playing, um, if they're going to start anybody or not. And then to finish up, um, Seattle is plus three at home. I mean, they're at home, so I'm going to certainly take that game. All right. Tom, uh, Tom any thoughts on Sean's picks? Uh, I, how many games have Seattle covered with the spread this year? I think like one, but listen, we'll see how he does. Yeah, I, I have some thoughts on I – I I like the Giant pick. I think John's be in that game. I have some thoughts on the other ones. I'll get to them in a minute. Tom, you're up now, so what about your three picks? All right, so I have the Kansas City Chiefs the Oakland Raiders and the Arizona Cardinals, um, the Kansas city chiefs. I have it around here somewhere. Um, they're playing the, at, they are at home against the chargers. They're minus seven and a half. Um, I don't know if their, their playoff seedings locked up, but I think Mahomes is going to play. And I think they win this game by 10. Um, following that, the Oakland Raiders are still somehow in the playoff hunt. <laughs> They need, like, seven things to happen, right? Yep. 
Well, I think they need like three things, and they're somewhat realistic. They need the Colts to beat the Jaguars, and they need someone else to win in a game that's very winnable. But I think the Raiders are going to win this one because they're just more motivated than the Broncos. They're minus – sorry, they're plus three and a half. I think they're easily going to cover that spread. They might just win this game outright. And then finally, the red-hot Arizona Cardinals are plus eight and a half against the Los Angeles Rams. I just like this team. I think they're playing really well. They're playing motivated football. I think they can keep it within a touchdown. Sean? Uh, yeah, hey, Sean. No, I think they're interesting. I mean, Kansas City is certainly a pick that if they don't have anything to play for, you know, they, they might be less motivated uh, than others. Um, I don't know. The Raider one is very interesting. I mean, they Is certainly- Kansas City playing playing for seeding, though? Yes, they are. They're gonna they're playing the Chargers, right? So, I, the, the, I don't know. If they can get... I they don't can- really... They can get the two if New England loses and they win. Well, okay, New England's got Miami, so that's that's going to be a tough one. Um, as for the Raiders, I, I've picked the Raiders a couple times this year, and I, it hasn't worked out for me, but this is a game they can win. How motivated are they? They know they're still in the playoff picture. Um, so uh, Denver with Drew Locke, I, I don't think much of them. They beat the Lions yesterday, but the Lions are on a third-string quarterback. And Tom, what was your third pick? Cardinals. 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 Cardinals plus eight and a half in L.A. In L.A.? Is Kyler playing? I don't think so. I think Hundley's going to finish off the season. So I, I would probably disagree with that there. And the Rams, you know, they have a lot to show. I mean, they've had some per- good performances. They've had some really shitty ones. That Dallas game being, you know, about as bad as it got for them. So I don't know, eight and a half a big number. But uh, I think I'm going to take the Rams in that game. I'm with Tom on the Cardinals pick. I was something I was thinking about just because I feel like the Rams are not going to show up for this game because they're out of it. That's an interesting thought on there, but let's get to my picks. I still think if Hundley's playing, they might not show up and still win by 15. That's fair. Let me get to my picks. I have a lot to get through here, so I have six of them on the board. I'm going against you, Sean. I'm taking the Jets, getting the point and a half against the Bills. I don't know what Bills team's going to play. Jets are motivated for revenge. Jets are blowing the opener. I like that one there. I'm taking the Browns, laying the three against the Bengals because... The Bengals are going 1-15 getting Joe Burrow. They're not going to be there for this game. Browns will win this one. Going out, Give Freddie Kitchens a going away present. I'll take the Dolphins getting 16.5 points in New England because I don't think New England can score more than 24 points against them, even with how bad the Dolphins are playing. I'll take the Bucks laying a point and a half against the, Car- against the Falcons at home. This again, Dan Quinn, dead man walking. James Winston throws some touchdowns. The Colts 3.5 against the Jaguars. Jags have gone home and quit. The Colts will play hard in this game. Colts will win. And I'll go against another one of your picks, uh, Sean. I'm taking the 49ers, laying the three in Sunday Night Football against Seattle. I just think too many injuries for Seattle right now. Chris Carson hurt. It might bring Beast Mode back out of retirement. It tells you how desperate they are for backs. I think that I think those are good picks. I like all six of mine. Any thoughts, you guys? I mean, I certainly see your point with Seattle and San Fran. The uh, San Fran needed, you know, a last-second field goal to beat the Rams last week, and that was off of a just horrid performance against Dallas uh, by the Rams. I don't know. I feel still feel like Seattle's got an epic home field advantage. And Russell Wilson, I don't like to count out in big spots. I just don't. Yeah. I like I like that San Francisco pick just because Seattle's been a lot better on the road. They only have one loss on the road this year. They've been a lot better of a road team. Sorry, Sean. Sorry to, sorry no, to say it, that. It is true. I just, I've seen them win too many big home games, and, and I've seen Russ, you know, play great in those moments way too many times to just be like, yeah, that's, you know. The other reason is just because they're they're pretty reliant on their run game, and with Carson being out for, I believe, the rest of the season, 
Um, I don't really know what Penny's going to do, and Lord knows if Lynch comes back, what the fuck kind of shape he's going to be in. But, again, I, I like the Niners pick. Uh, I like the Jets pick as well, just because I feel like the Jets will be motivated. Um, I'm hoping to see them go out with a win and end up, I believe, 7-9 and nine, um, in one of the weirdest seasons I've ever seen, in my personal opinion. It has been a weird year. They have looked like the worst team in the NFL at certain times and then a pretty competent team. I'm not going to say a playoff team, but they look like a pretty competent team at other times, a fringe playoff team. Um, and and I, I think that they're going to go away with our head, with us scratching our heads a little bit more, taking that win against the Buffalo Bills. So I like that thing as well. All right, to reset the picks of the week, Sean has gone with the Bills laying a point and a half at home against the New York football Jets. The Giants getting four and a half. In, at home against the Eagles, who are going for the NFC's title. The Seahawks, plus three at home against the 49ers on Sunday night. Tom has gone with the Chiefs, laying seven and a half at home against the LA Chargers. The Raiders getting three and a half in Denver. It's just the stupidest line of the week, so good job by Tom Statchen that one up. The, yeah, the Cardinals getting eight and a half in LA against the Rams. And my picks, the Jets getting a point and a half in Buffalo against the Bills. The Browns laying three against the Bengals. The Dolphins getting 16 and a half in Foxborough against the Patriots. The Bucks laying a point and a half at home against the Atlanta Falcons. The Colts laying three and a half against the Jet- quitting Jacksonville Jaguars. And the 49ers laying three points in Seattle against the Seahawks. And those are your picks for week number 17 of the NFL season. Coming up next week, we are going to start the playoff challenge and bring back Troy Moriello, a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, we might be talking to Fire and Jason Garrett as well. <laughs> oh, man, you started with Dallas Cowboys fan. I don't know if I'm going to listen to that one. I'm sorry, Troy. That's rough. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll, it'll be a fun season. It'll be a fun season. This has been a fun time, guys. And before I let you go, I also got to give you an opportunity to plug your podcast. So you might, guys want to talk about the Sorry Interrupt podcast, how people can listen to you. Yeah, we are uh, we are the Start Interrupt podcast. I am the the leader, obviously, the CEO, and Sean is just my uh, my court jester as CFO, COO, whatever you want to call him. Uh, Shouldn't you know the title? No, nah, dude, you're not my concern. Um, and yeah, our website, sorry, SorrySports.com. We feature Mike on there a lot, but now that Shawnee Boy's all graduated, he's a big boy now. Um, he's going to be back on there. The fingers are loose. He's going to be typing again. So check out the website, sorrysports.com. And we do a podcast every Monday and during football season every Wednesday. Um, and that's pretty much it. Check us out on wherever you get your podcast. Yeah, you guys are on iTunes, correct? Yeah, yeah. iTunes, Spotify, I don't know, whatever whatever else is out there. The, 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 out there. the usual suspects. The usual suspects. Sean, you got anything nice to say about me before we finish this plug? After what you just said, absolutely not. All right, that about wraps that plug up. <laughs> you're, you're, you'll get plenty of this in the pod. Yeah, if you like this, for, subscribe. For, if you like banter uh, between two people who I guess we consider each other friends, yeah. um, uh, we, and then you know just just good sports talk and and you know we hit, pop we culture. Did, we definitely hit topics that you know we feel the most passionate about. Uh, we obviously agree on the Yankees, as you know, and, and the rest of the way we kind of differ, which makes it fun. Um, and, yeah, just it's, it's a good listen. So uh, certainly if check you it like out. one, I'll put it to you this way, basically. If you like one true right-down-the-middle sports fan, passionate, and you like one absolute fraud, um, then, and I'm not going to say who that is. You guys can make your own inferences from that. But 
Yeah, give us a listen. Yeah, and just just a fair warning for those who like to listen with like kids in the car that they are a little more NSFW than I, than this podcast is. I think I've first like four times already on this pod, and my bad if you gotta bleep me out. That's just me. Like you have to move on from that. All right, I'm so, sorry about that. It's our, definitely not the, work. the true professionalism. No, not at all. But that's just the way we are. <laughs> all right, so this is the this is the last thing for before I let you go. Also, social media is at Sorry Sports, right? Yes. I'm sorry, sports on Twitter. Sorry, I'm sorry, sports on Instagram. That's uh, that's it. All right, so I'm gonna ask each of you. You'll be lucky if I reply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So last thing, if each you, I'll give each of you the opportunity here. If you could give a gift to New York sports next year, what would you give, Sean? I'm gonna go to you first. A Yankees World Series. Thank you. They're the they're the only team that has a legitimate shot at winning every year in the city. So they've come so close to of the last three years, 100 win team plus of the last three. And uh, I don't know if you heard, Mike, but uh, Garrett Cole, the Yankee now. So I actually uh, did hear I that. Am cer- I am certainly hoping for uh, for all New York, for all of New York, whether you like the Yankees or not. Like, I'm tired of this city not getting championships. We have more more teams than every other city, and the majority of them are just complete doormats and going through either rebuilding phases or another phase of ineptitude. So the Yankees have our best shot and uh, certainly looking forward to hopefully a, a parade in October. I did hear that. They signed Gary Cole. Friend of the podcast, Nick <laughs> Fraetta, actually was on doing the picks during the before winter meetings. He actually predicted on the air. He said that the Yankees would sign Gary Cole during the winter meeting. So good, sh- good job by Nick there. Absolutely. Uh, right. A little slip up there for Mike. Uh-oh, bleep that up. All right. All right, Tom, what would your <laughs> gift to New York sports fans be? My gift would be you know, I don't want I don't want the law to affect other people. I don't want any harm caused to other people. I'm just hoping that maybe like we have a Donald Sterling situation with James Dolan, but not as bad where you know he has to be a racist. Although I mean, come on, James Dolan, I kind of get the feeling that he is strong. Um, I'm just hoping that you know maybe there's a racketeering thing, maybe there's an insider trading thing going on. He has to go away to jail for a while and he's forced to sell the team. Just somehow James Dolan gets out of there. Um, I'm not going to curse or anything. Sean knows I'd be, I'd be using some choice words for him on our podcast as I have in the past. But he's an absolute joke. He's a pig. Um, just a uh, clown shoes, clown show, well, whatever you want to use for it. And it's time to move on. It's time to sell your daddy's team. Yeah, all right. That sounds good to me. Thanks, guys, for coming out again. I really appreciate it. Thanks, no Mike. Appreciate it, man. All right, and that will do it for this holiday special edition of the Just and the Suffering podcast. I have a lot of guests to thank, so let's just hit them in order. I'll start off thanking Dandy Martini, who hopped in the studio to talk week 16 of the NFL. I want to thank Ross Greenberg for taking the time to have a very lengthy conversation about his career as a documentary filmmaker. Joe D'Aloisio for talking about his documentary, Beyond the Microphone about the role that sports radio hosts can play in giving back to the community in this time of the year. Will Schneiderhan for coming through on the line to look back some of the best moments on this podcast in 2019. The Sorry Sports Guys, Sean Rowe and Tom Bacchino for hopping on the line to do the NFL picks for Week 17. Fun stuff all around. I also want to take this opportunity to thank everyone who's come on the podcast this year. It's been a lot of fun talking to all of you. 
It's been a great pleasure and a great joy to be able to do this. So if you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my appearance on John Stanko's podcast, Stanko's Stance, where we discussed our favorite movies of the decade, check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, the usual suspects, as I like to say. And you can subscribe there. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. It would mean a lot to me if you guys just subscribe to this podcast. And there's been a lot of content the last, last uh, couple of weeks. So, I mean, we had last week a couple episodes. John Stanko's been on twice. He talked watching with me. The season finale, we discussed that. He also was on our Star Wars special with Pete Considori. And that was a fun one as well. Last week's conversation as well with Dan Federico about the winter meetings was also a lot of fun. So be sure you go in the archives, check those episodes out. They were a lot of fun. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings as well. It will help this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet at me with the hashtag gift season. This is the gift season. And this is my gift to you, the listeners. I appreciate all the time you take to listen to these podcasts I put out every week. Next up, we are taking a break for the holidays. We will be putting our first new sports episode out after the new year, where we look ahead to the NFL playoffs. We'll do wild card picks with Troy Moriello. We will recap the college football playoff and more. But this is not the last you hear from me in 2019. We are doing a special entertainment special. That will drop on New Year's Eve. Uh, United for the first time on the podcast. Our movie guy John Stanko. And our pop culture correspondent Sam DeRosa. We had a conversation about the best of the year in pop culture in 2019. A lot of fun. I cannot wait for you guys to hear that. Until then. I hope you have a better week than Steelers fans. And happy holidays everybody. We'll conspire as we dream. By the fire, the face unafraid, the plans that we made. Walking in a winter wonderland, walking in a winter wonderland, walking in a winter wonderland.